have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 Three six seven five. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is common sense. experiencing food shortages, supply chain breakdowns continue to have a domino effect on everything, especially food production. Farmers can't plant as many crops now because of fertilizer shortages, forced regulations, and of course, high fuel prices. This will cause more painful food shortages when we run out of the food we're eating now. You know, food takes time to grow. So when farmers don't plant, well, months later, we don't eat. That's why you need to prepare for an increasing number of food shortages. And the best way is to invest in ready-hour emergency food from My Patriot Supply. It's a perfect hedge against skyrocketing prices and shortages. Right now, save $50 on a four-week food kit from My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and get your $50 savings on a four-week emergency food kit that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's preparewithsouthernsense.com. Those who know what's coming are getting prepared now. Well, if you don't want to type in that whole big thing saying preparewithsouthernsense.com and you're on my website, which is Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense, as in commonsense.com, you can easily click on My Patriot Supply and go directly to the website and get your $50 savings. As I'm telling you now, those who know what's coming are getting prepared right now. Shouldn't you? Prepare with southern-sense.com. 
at southern-sense.com. Click on My Patriot Supply. Do it now. Well, welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense, listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iHeart, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. I'm running out of breath. And half a dozen other places. Best way to watch us or listen to us is just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the radio tickety Annie, along with my special co-host, because Curtis is moving from one house to another, so he's not here. I want to welcome back the one, the only, Uncle Ted, former Congressman Ted Yoho. Good afternoon, Ted. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Annie. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to your show. I've seen the agenda, and it's going to be a great show, as always. Yes, we have we have a lot to talk about. Uh, Nick Searcy and Chris Burgard have a new movie that they worked on together, a documentary called Capital Punishment, and I watched it last night. And woo doggy, are they opening up a can of worms there? And that's not the whole story, and there's more to come. Uh, we have returning to our show, Kevin McGarry. He is the present co-founder of Every Black Lives Matter. And they've got a couple of new things they are working on. Uh, Sue Sue's Shafford, uh, she's a HIPAA security analyst, and she's got some new things she's working on. And then we have my friend from the Epic Times, or he says Epoch Times, Mark Tapscott. And this week, Heritage Foundation is sending us Jake Denton. He's a tech Policy Center Research Associate. And there's a lot of stuff going on with big tech and censorship and what's going on between the Biden administration and big tech and the social networks. Boy, are we we getting into some deep water here, Ted. But it's a lot to do and a lot to talk about. I agree. I mean, there there is so much going on. I've got a friend of mine that has another um, radio talk show. He got taken off of um, uh, Facebook, no, YouTube, for something that was posted in 2021. And so they're going retroactively, too, and this is something that we've never experienced in this country. No, I agree. Dangerous I agree. Uh, yeah. I've been banned from uh, uh, YouTube. I had to go through a back door and open up a new account. <laughs> So people, look for Southern Sense on YouTube, and if you see a low membership, sign up. I mean, I, I had a great following over on YouTube, and I said something about Trump phobia in the title, and I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And they said, no, 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 can't have anything to do with Trump on here. Can't have anything dealing with electric, election integrity. Shame on you. Now, come on, Annie. You're, you're accusing them of not being tolerant. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a one-way yeah, street. <laughs> yeah, one-way really. street. The law for thee and my, not for me. Oh, jeez. Yeah, really. Yeah, so, yeah. I've, I've had Facebook posts taken down. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, actually, I think I'm banned on, is it, uh, holy shit, Tumblr? Uh, Reddit? Reddit has banned me. Rumble? So, Rumble. yeah, I, I, I'm racking them up. I'm racking them up. You sure are. Well, those are uh, those are like battle battle scars or medals. So mm-hmm. keep doing it. <laughs> I'm gonna keep at it. Gonna keep at it. You know, the new news that came, hit the screen last night was this verdict against Alex Jones. Now, I thought he was a little over the top when he was making the comments about Parkland, 
But he wasn't naming names or saying anything you know, specific. He's just saying, this is how I feel. And suddenly, because you may be a conservative or extreme right wing, because you have this feeling that something's not right with whatever is being reported, it's, it's, it's slur, it's, it's scandalous, it's criminal. And now he has this fine of what is it nine hundred and eighty five billion almost a a a trillion dollar fine? This is crazy. Right. It is. I mean what it's just absolutely crazy. What happened to free speech? Whatever happened to free speech? So you know, you know we're in a very dangerous time. At some point I want to tell you about the the hearing I was in. I might have alluded to it last time. Um about the biggest threat to our national security is white national supremacists. And that was about mm-hmm. a year and a half, two years before the election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. White supremacists is the big one. No, we're not talking about Antifa or Black Lives Matter or all the other groups such as the Islamic extremists that are coming across our poorest border or the Chinese agents that have even infiltrated NYPD. Uh, Now, we're not talking about that as being a threat to our national security, but we have one incident on January 6th where, where two women were killed that were members of the crowd. There were no weapons inside the Capitol. But that is far worse than the Civil War and the Holocaust, according to them. But we will talk about the 663 riots by Antifa and Black Lives Matter in the last two years of Trump's presidency. We won't talk about that. No, we won't. You know, it's it's a double standard, and it, it's it's intentional. It's intentional uh, to bring that leftist – actually, it's a communist narrative out um, – and they're doing that intentionally, and any form of dissent they are going after, and they're going after hard, as you're seeing with the uh, the people that were protesting January 6th that they call insurrectionists, um, you know, trying to overthrow the government to the Alex Jones. But if they say something, they get a pass. They get a pass, and the American people that are middle of the road and to the right are tired of it. Yeah, we are. We are. And we're starting to push back. And that's one of the things we're going to be talking to with uh, Jake uh, Denton of the Heritage, because that's some of the things he's working on. But that said, those you know, Ted, that listen to the show know that we dedicate each and every show to a fallen hero. And unfortunately, prior to us going live, you and I were discussing uh, the, the increase of attacks on law enforcement. And today's show is going to be dedicated to Sergeant Nicholas W. Tuller of East Baton Rouge um, Parish, his parish sheriff's office of, out of Louisiana. The end of watch was Thursday, May 5, 2022. And this is coming from Coffee, Coffee Ordee by Noelle Huey. And she writes, East Baton Rouge Sheriff's motorman, Sergeant Nick Tullier, was buried May 10th of 2022 in Louisiana. It took three gunshot wounds and nearly six years in and out of comas before East Baton Rouge Sheriff Motorman Sergeant Nick Tullier died. He took his last breath that Thursday, May 5th, at Louisiana's Our Lady of the Lake Regional Medical Center. 
He was 46. The victim of a July 17, 2016 ambush sprung by a Missouri man, Gavin Log, outside of a B-Quick gas station in Baton Rouge. Emergency dispatchers had called both the Baton Rouge Police Department and a sheriff's deputies to respond to reports of a masked man carrying a rifle down a highway. A Marine Corps veteran long shot and killed two police officers and a deputy that day. He also wounded a city police officer and two deputies, one of them, Tulier, who was shot in the head, stomach, and shoulder before SWAT team officers arrived and killed the 29-year-old Long. It was no surprise to me when I realized that Nick had run into the gun battle that day. Louisiana State Police Sergeant Marcus Smith told the mourners at Tulier's funeral. Nick encountered that gunman in the parking lot, and he engaged him with the full intent of stopping the evil that had taken the lives of three police officers, Smith said. After the ambush, surgeons placed Tulier on life support. He wasn't supposed to survive the hour, but he lived another five years and ten months in hospitals, part of the time in a coma, awful, often undergoing surgeries. Nicholas Wayne Nick Tulier was born May 27, 1975 and he died from the medical complications tied to the gunshot wounds on May 5th, 2022, at Louisiana's Our Lady of the Lake Regional Medical Center. I can only imagine that Nick's heavenly entrance was a party that is still going on, said East Baton Rouge Sheriff Sid Gautrier during his Tuesday eulogy. And to me, when Nick walked up those pearly gates, And when St. Peter came down to welcome him, no doubt in my mind that his first question was, where's a Harley shop? After the service, Juliet was buried at Evergreen Memorial Park in Denham Springs. He joined the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office in 1996. He served in corrections, communications, and then uniformed patrol at both the Klein Peter and the Central Substations before moving to Traffic Division in 2006 as a corporal. If you know anything about motormen, you know that we're a different breed of police officer, Smith told mourners. We do things a little bit differently than everybody else, but being a motorman was something that Nick absolutely lived for. His uniform was always impeccable. His motorcycle always well-shined. And he absolutely loved being a motorman. I will add from Elise Carmosino from TheAdvocate.com. And she writes, Mourners struggling to find meaning in the death of a longtime sheriff's deputy, Sergeant Nick Tulier, found plenty of meaning in his life. He died at the age of 46, nearly six years after being wounded in an ambush. He proved to others that physical conditions don't measure the value of a human life, wrote Elisa Alfin Jenkins in an essay published on the back of the funeral program. The father of two, who was promoted to sergeant posthumously at the funeral, reminded us how hard and dangerous it can be to a law enforcement officer, she wrote. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for all the times you chose to see this through to the end, 
despite the pain and questions Jenkins wrote. For you, it was the hardest 2,118 days. It was not in vain, and it all had a purpose. So much good came from the last six years of your life. Hundreds turned out for his funeral, and countless more lined the 15-mile procession route after two-hour service at the Healing Place Church on Highland Road. Governor John Beale Edwards called Tulier a true hero. He said the city shouldn't dwell on July 17, 2016, when he was shot, but rather should concentrate on the outpouring of support that the Baton Rouge community gave him. Darkness will never win, Governor Edwards said. We won't let it. God won't let it. Tulier was the fourth officer to die after he and five others were shot at an airline highway shopping complex in July 2016. The attack was believed to be a retaliatory ambush following the high-profile death of Alton Sterling, a black man killed by police outside a nearby convenience store 12 days earlier, spurring nationwide protests. The shooter, Gavin Long, traveled to Baton Rouge from Missouri in order to confront police. Three of the officers, EVRSO Deputy Brad Garofola and Baton Rouge Policeman Montrell Jackson, and Matthew Gerald died during the attack. Tulier, who was shot three times, once in the head, was rushed to a hospital in critical condition. Long was ultimately shot dead by a Baton Rouge police sniper less than 20 minutes after the attack began. The events of that day left a lasting impact, not only on Tulier's friends and family, but on law enforcement officers everywhere, said retired East Baton Rouge Sheriff's Deputy Stephen Gallo Sr. and his wife, Barbara Gallo. So stand down, Sergeant Tulier. Your end of tour will take your watch from here. Today's show is dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this glorious nation through today and into our hopeful future. And we dedicate to each and every one of them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
I stand for I respect for humanity Now I'm challenged by tyrants Who envy my power But they're vicious deep Because I find a Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star, Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the Radio Chickadee, Annie, along with my guest co-host, former congressman and hopefully one day senator <laughs> from the great state of Florida, <laughs> the free state of Florida, Ted Yoho. Good afternoon, Ted, and we're back. I'm waiting for our guest to call in. We had a little problem calling him into the show, so hopefully he'll get the message and call into us very shortly. He's got a great movie out called Capital Punishment that he did with Nick Searcy, and we've had Nick Searcy on the show in the past. Uh, he had worked with uh, other conservative uh, producers uh, and does absolutely great work. He did this documentary about January 6th, what really happened that day and what to we really the media is not showing you. He gave the true behind the scenes and he does a little bit uh, commentary in it and it's it's awesome. So I'm hoping that he will call in and yes, he is. So let's welcome to the show and I have to apologize for the switchboard screw up since I don't have my normal co-host with us. Want to welcome Chris Burgard, the director of the documentary Capital Punishment, which he did with Nick Searcy. Good afternoon, Chris, and I want to let you know my guest co-host today is former congressman from the great state of Florida, Ted Yoho. So we're going to have a blast here. Hey, Chris. Great to have you. Thank you, you guys. Outstanding. Thank you so much. I was calling in. I was getting really weird stuff, so finally connected. Thank you for having me on your show. (laughs) 
because the number I was calling you from, my switchboard dropped me as I'm talking. You're like, you can't hear me. Why can't? So I'm glad I was able to get through one way or another. We're, we are resourceful here. I may not be able to speak, but we're resourceful. Um, I actually watched the documentary last night while I was doing my notes, and I'm glad that you and Nick were able to get behind the scenes and actually show a lot of the things that I was hearing was getting ready to happen. Two weeks prior to January 6th, I was getting people let me know, hey, you know Antifa and Black Lives Lives are parking vans and putting stuff in certain areas that have Trump memorabilia in it so they look like bumpers. But no one was paying attention. How come little old me in the corner of South Carolina knew about that and not the Capitol Police? A lot of questions. Well, because you're aware the truth is out there. Yeah, I'm sorry, Congressman. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead. No, I was disagreeing with Annie that that stuff is out there. I mean, and and they don't do anything about it. You know, it's just they get to do their free press and free speech, but don't be a conservative and do it. So go ahead. Yeah, it's you've seen the film now, so you understand. And you, you saw retired generals and three-letter um, professionals explain how January 6th was was years in the making. You saw the uh, Zoom call that Millie um, infiltrated that showed these people planning this months ahead of time. And it wasn't just far-left activist groups. As you saw in that Zoom call, it was members of our, of our own government and also uh, in federal employees that work in intelligence services. This is an operation, and in an operation, you have to control the information. So that's why when you see truth and you put it out there, why isn't it going anywhere? Why, why aren't the, isn't the mainstream media picking up? It's because that's not the narrative they want to put out. And um, no. people need to be really aware. This isn't, this isn't just some random protest that got out of hand. This is a captured operation. This was a lot of resources, a lot of time, and a lot of planning went into January 6th. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we've got the January 6th quote, riot, insurrection, or whatever the media wants to call it. But they don't talk about the 633 Black Lives Matter riots that raged across the nation over a two-year period. How many people were killed? How many businesses destroyed? How many lives destroyed? And yet, we have two people killed on January 6th, and both females that were on the protest side, unarmed, but we don't hear about that. Well, from our research when we were doing the movie, I don't think the operation went as they wanted. They wanted, I believe they wanted 100 dead people like they got in Ukraine in 2014. And right. it was it, the, the overlap and the players that were there on the 6th that were also in Ukraine during that revolution is something that needs to be investigated by people above my pay grade. Yeah. Now, I That's was a very good the- point. Go ahead, Annie. No, I was I was watching a lot of the people that you interviewed, and it's like, okay, um, I've had Evan Sayet at my Tea Party meetings, okay, and I'm going down the list and saying, wow, you got the A-list of people to talk about this, including Louis Gomer, your, your uh, co-worker there, Lou, uh, Ted. Um, right. And Evan said something that was we have been saying all along. Their main goal is to change the narrative, and the best way they can change the narrative is change how we use words. We understand justice is something, 
But when you you put the word social in front of it, you've got a whole different meaning. And we have been seeing our language get bastardized over and over and over again. But this well, is that's a tool. part of the information war. Yeah, this is, it's a tool. In any, cycle, in any PSYOP, this is what you do. You have to control the na- language to control the narrative. Just like look at the border. You know, illegal alien is the proper term, but they somehow made it feel like you're racist if you say illegal alien. That's the proper legal term. And it got changed to immigrants. And then now it's, it's, now it's non-documented border crossers. You own the language. You own the narrative. And that's how you win the debate. Right. People, I mean, Ted, you've you've seen you you've seen it all over. I mean, yeah, help. sure have. Language. Well, Washington they're, is, they're political is, refugees now. They're not uh, immigrants or illegals. They're political refugees. And um, you know, if you've got to just let me drop back because you said this was a very orchestrated movement, the January sixth. I can't tell you how orchestrated it was. I call it an orchestrated cabal to subvert our constitutional republic. Um, I was telling Annie, and I've said this before, I was in a hearing, and it was about a year and a half to two years before the January 20th election, and I was the only Republican in the room. It was through my Foreign Affairs Committee, and it was on white national supremacy, the biggest threat to uh, to our country. And there were the agencies in there, the FBI, NSA, CIA, and they were trying to convince us that white national supremacy was worse than ISIS, was worse than anything that we faced as a nation. And when I questioned them, they said, oh, no, you're just, you're, you're kind of being silly. So I, I shut up for 45 minutes. They went through all these things that were happening, and I had questioned them. Give me an example. It was Timothy McVeigh was the first one, then the uh, Fort not the, uh, the Charlottesville, where the guy went in there and shot up the, the African-American church and then a, one synagogue, and I said, this is bigger than, let's, let's start with Japan, you know, Pearl Harbor. Let's start with uh, the World Trade Center, then the 9-11, and then you had the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. You had San Bernardino, uh, Fort Hood, and, you know, Pensacola. Those are all uh, radical Islamic terrorists. But they're telling Absolutely. me this is the biggest threat. And Absolutely. when I got done listening to them, I said, you guys are scaring the hell out of me. And they said, why? And I said, I'm a 67-year-old white guy. I'm a grandfather. I believe in the Constitution. I say the Pledge of Allegiance. I supported Trump. I was a part of the Tea Party wave. And I feel like I'm on your list. And they, they started laughing and said, oh, don't be silly. I said, silly? I'm just reiterating what you've told me for the last 45 minutes. Now fast forward to January 6th, and then January, a little after January 20th, Biden said that the biggest threat to our country is white national supremacy. Christopher Wray from the FBI about a month later said the very same thing. So this goes back to what you were saying. This is a very orchestrated cabal that's been uh, years in the making. Well, and it's so thank – you, thank you, Congressman – you just heard it from the, you know, he was in the belly of the beast, and this is something we see over and over. You see them create a narrative, create a problem, and then we get punished for it. You know, you may remember yeah. a few years back during the Obama administration, 95% of all weapons that the cartels are using to do violence were coming from American gun stores and Walmarts. That was an absolutely yeah, false well. narrative. Yep, but they pushed Fast that because. Yes, this is, if you understand, 
if you understand political warfare, if you understand asymmetrical warfare, you understand that this is, you have to have this propaganda to push the narrative. And you have to have, as the congressman said, the cabal of the deep state working in tandem with the media, with the universities, and that, that's what we're seeing here. It's controlling well, the narrative. Now, I, I will then blow the bo- minds of both of you there because I say <laughs> this goes back far deeper than you think because if you remember, there used to be about 10 years ago reports of CARE going out and trading the FBI, the ATF, right. various law enforcement agencies. But who is behind CARE but the Muslim Brotherhood? Okay, now right. who is tied in as an associate member to the Nation of Islam, Louis Farrakhan, listed on their website? Care right. and the Muslim Brotherhood, which is then tied into Hamas, which is now tied into the drug cartels that are bringing over these drugs and human trafficking and weapons. And oh, by the way, China now has a huge foothold in the Middle East, because when we gave up Afghanistan, we opened the door to a wealth of oil and precious metals China now has access to, which leads you from Afghanistan to Pakistan to Turkestan into Iraq, Iran, and of course. So now China can control what is going on with Muslim extremists. They can now help control their war pot, and China through going through the uh, Confucius schools here, uh, controlling Hollywood, controlling major corporations, and now has a foothold in our stock market, which they were given just recently. Prior to that, it was illegal for Chinese companies to be exchanged on our stock market. So you've got China and the the, the, uh, Islamic terrorists and extremists joining forces. And, oh, by the way, they're making uh, friendships with Russia and who cha- trained Hamas and Hezbollah? Oh, gee, wasn't it Moscow underneath the communist mer- regime? We've got so ourselves a glorious triangle that is now killing our nation. Did I scare you so yet? You've, tu- you've touched on something that is so important, and you have to understand the threat. And when you put together the dots in the matrix, um, I worked with the Team B guys. Um, there was a DOD task force that Jerry Boy- General Jerry Boykin helped put together, that was tracking exactly what you're saying. Some really good people on there. John Guandolo, uh, Rich Higgins, Stephen Coughlin. And I was seeing working the border at that time, jihadis coming through West Texas. And the administration was doing everything they could to cover it up and discredit guys like me and say it wasn't happening. Meanwhile, the Team B guys were showing how when we had the Hamas Holy Land Foundation trial, um, Care and some and various individuals were unindicted co-conspirators coming out of that um, that trial, and the Obama administration not only stopped the investigation into the Jihadi right. movement, but they took specific people from there and put them into the government as advisors and onto the staff. This is this is infiltration, and this is on many many levels. And again, if you understand asymmetric warfare, you understand what's being done. Um, so you, you mean someone like Ibu Patel, who became the uh, czar of religion under Obama? And oh, by the way, um, he was put down as a moderate, but has direct ties into Cairo and the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, an imam who was trying to do this uh, seminar of 
Love Thy Muslim Neighbor at one of our local Unitarian churches didn't like the fact I had Quran in hand, and I challenged him until one of the progressives stood up and told me to shit the F down. Yeah. And the people that tell you to, to sit, yeah, they, and the people that are yelling at you are the same people that haven't read the Quran, haven't read the Hadith, haven't read the Way of the Traveler. And if they did, they would understand more what's going on. But the, the overall thing is these are all isms that are being used to take down the United States of America. And it's, yep. it, it's, it's, it's what Stalin told us that we were gonna, they were going to do over 60 years ago. And, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's why you see all these different forces working together. Um, and it's happening so slow. It's happening. That's actually happening faster. And people are starting to go, wait a minute, this doesn't work. But for the last several decades, it was happening so slow that people weren't paying attention to it. Critical race theory. That was, that was something that the Russians tried to put into, into our psyche, you know, back 40, 45 years ago, not even far, I think even farther than that. And, um, we just, we just, we're nice people. We like, we like to treat everybody well. We like, you know, we don't believe people are going to try to come in and, and hurt our way of life, but it's actually been going down. And I kind of think like we're living, you know, there's two things. The Chinese have a saying, may you live in interesting times. It's both a blessing and a curse. So I, I, that pops in my head several times a day, as does examples of conspiracy theories are becoming the new spoiler alerts. I mean, yeah. It's just crazy. That's what's that's what's going on. Well, I'm yeah, and I, I really think if, 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 I just if people to see capital that, punishment, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, ma'am. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say because I was talking about the connection of China and Islam. Uh, Benjamin Smith was kind enough after I interviewed him, sent me this map where he redrew it. I put it up on the show page, so those listening or watching on Facebook, on YouTube, on all the other places, LinkedIn, and whatever I have it restreamed at. Um, we'll see this map that I'm talking about. And, yeah, it is it is kind of scary here, guys. But go ahead, as you were you're starting to say. You're talking about Ben Smith, the uh, former Navy SEAL? Yep. <laughs> Ben's a good guy. Um, if you see capital punishment, and capital punishment right now is the most censored movie in America. I, 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 I was the main content creator for iPhone for three and a half years. Yes, it is, sir. I, when I was at Breitbart, I had to deal with the algorithms every day. You put out a video, it gets six to eight million views. You put out a sequel to it the next day, it would get 30,000. Okay, what do we do to trigger the algorithm? Why are they stepping on this video? This film, it's been out since, since last Thanksgiving, and the censorship we saw in this was, it was unreal. It got great reviews, but you try to find their reviews, you try to find the movie, and you couldn't, get, you couldn't find it on Google. They, they stomped on it that hard. People would, would put it on their social media. Hey, you've got to go see this movie, and they're supposed to be deleted. Um, we didn't know when the movie came out that what they were going to do to President Trump. And this movie exonerates President Trump. So it's, it's funny. We made the movie that exonerated President Trump before they even started raiding Mar-a-Lago or bringing charges against him. We put Liz Cheney, as you saw in that opening scene in the movie, we put that in for humor. You know, we edited that scene where she's interrogating uh, my partner Nick for being at January, for being there on January 6th. Who would have known that six months later, the real life version of the January 6th series would be even more absurd and she would be even funnier. I mean, yeah, it's really. insane. It's insane how 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 spot on this movie was. And um, the neat thing about it is, 
when people see how horrible it's been, when you see four and seven-year-old children flashbang in the United States of America and California, when you see 12-year-old girls dragged out in, in the cold in handcuffs, and their parents weren't even in the Capitol building that day, you just know that's wrong. When you see Coy Griffin, who is thrown into solitary confinement for three weeks, the first nine days in America, in solitary confinement, he doesn't even get a phone call to his family or his attorney for praying at the Capitol. These are things that shouldn't be happening in the United States. And when, when progressives and liberals see this film, or people think they're progressives, but they're still Americans, they see this film, they don't cry when Ashley Babbitt dies. They cry when her dog dies. And then they get really angry because it's like they realize if they're lying to me about this, what else have I been lying to? And it, it drops the scales from their eyes. So it's, it's the way we've been attacked and this, this film has been jumped on is just, it's just simply insane. Um, yeah. It, it, it's it, fear. Was, it, it was it's a very, very powerful, powerful documentary. And um, there's several things that really flipped me out because I was watching the police response. You had one half the Capitol where they were battling the people. The other half, they had rope lines, opened up the barriers, and let them in. Yeah. And when I was watching this, and Ted, you know I'm talking from experience. Um, when we right. responded to a massive crowd, we knew there was going to be a large crowd. We had operation buses. They bused troops from Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, Staten Island, Manhattan, and of course the first two boroughs they put at the front line was us from Brooklyn and those from Bronx. We had our riot gear ready. You know, we were at standby, and nine times out of ten, thankfully nothing happened. But the few times there were, we had backup behind us. We had troops at the ready. I didn't see any of that at the Capitol. No, where were the Capitol uh, uh, superiors? You know, where where were the commanders? Well, then there's the article. The article today about the National Guard again, how Trump asked Pelosi to do that. And the guy that was with Capitol Hill Police, he's testified that said they asked at least six times for the Capitol Hill Police. Paul Irving, who was the sergeant at arms, serves at the, the will of the speaker, was denied the National Guard by Nancy Pelosi personally, six, over six times. Yeah, it was it, it was it was orchestrated, as Chris said. Absolutely, and and you see, I mean, look at look at the clip that CNN released today about Nancy Pelosi saying that if if, if President Trump came to the Capitol, would be trespassing, right. she would punch him. I mean, she she knew him. she was being filmed. She was making that. I think that might have been footage that her daughter her daughter filmed. Um, was she they were they this. <laughs> Actually, she looks pretty sober in this. She actually does. She's, wow. She's, she's hardly slurring at all. Um, but this is, this is so – I mean, we saw this in real time as it was happening. It, I don't know if you've seen the movie, Congressman, but as we're coming from Trump's speech to the, uh, to the Capitol building, I, I, we're walking and we're surrounded and I, by, just by people praying, by singing. And I looked to my yeah. wife and I said, honey, I, I, I got a bad feeling. And she says, what are you, what, what, what are, what are you talking about? I said – I said, look around you. There's there's no media around you. There's, there's very little. There's no police presence. But where's Fox? Where's CNN? That tells me the images of these peaceful people praying and singing and marching and laughing, no mask, aren't the images that they want to portray. That tells me that I have a bad feeling that an event is going to happen at the end of this march that's going to be what they really want to put out. 
Just then, Nick calls me, my buddy Nick Searson, who was up the Capitol building, and he said, they've just moved the bicycle racks. The Capitol Police are letting people into the Capitol building. And I looked at my wife. I had, like, I'd just been punched in the stomach. The hair stood up on my arms. And I said, honey, this is, this is Honduras all over again. I saw this. This, it's is, a setup. this is a color revolution. It's a setup, and people are going to die today. And about two and a half hours later, Ashley Babbitt was dead. You know, I was up there January 6th. I didn't participate in that. I was up there for some other reasons. And 90, probably 95% of the people I saw were well-respected. I mean, they, the way they acted, the way their demeanor was, I heard no cuss words. They were carrying American flags. They were the supporters and the true patriots of this country. And, you know, when, if you've ever gone to any of the Tea Party rallies or a Trump rally, it was those kind of people that just had a love for this country. And I saw what you saw, and I did see some Antifa and some QAnon and Black Lives Matter, but you could tell they were there to cause trouble. And as it went over to the Capitol, I, I noticed that the lack of cameras were the group of people that you just described were. You know, it's like that's not what leads in, in news stories, and uh, they had no desire to push that narrative. No, if it don't lead, it don't lead. When you spend that's hundreds right. of hours hundreds of hours going over this footage, you get to know the players, and you can pick out the operators. And there were different levels of operators. I mean, you had full-on professional intelligence, military-grade operatives working the crowd that day. You had the uh, useful idiots. You had the paid operatives. You could you could yeah. pick them out as the card goes. And 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 one thing it's that's you know no one talks about you know is Ray Epps and those other guys did the first right. initial breach. It was almost like they set it up like a scene on the sidewalk there. Why were all these A-list White House reporters there instead of where the president was still speaking? How were they? How did they know to be placed there? Yeah, and we saw this all day long. It was the Capitol building. They would, they would, there would be an open door, and you would have senior citizens walking in and out. As you see in the movie, we have two 74-year-old yeah. twins that go in and out of the movie. Capitol, they asked the Capitol Police. They said, sure, come on in. Yet 30 feet away, there's a broken window, and there's people fighting, and there's things, and that's where all the cameras are. That was set up. That was orchestrated. That was a movie being filmed to push a narrative. I've been doing this. I've been doing this for 17 years. I've been on and off the border for 17 years. I've been in Mexico. I've been in Central America when they tried to take down the government down there. This is the same plan. This is the same operation that happened in – it put the Morsi government, Muslim Brotherhood, in charge in Egypt. It put right. – uh, what's-his-face uh, before Maduro Chavez in charge in Venezuela. And it's the same thing that happened in Ukraine in 2014. The only, the only difference is now this time it's happened here in the United States. And a color revolution yeah, Think of what they did the to Roger Stone. How they went to Roger Stone and CNN was already set up when the SWAT team shows up. And it's just ridiculous how they show up in numbers for, you know, um, a 60-year-old, 70-year-old man that has no weapons. You know, so it's, it's orchestrated. It's orchestrated. I'm going to tell you something, guys, that I haven't, I haven't said in public before. Um, I'm a 60-year-old award-winning filmmaker. I've never been arrested. My father was a veteran. I grew up in a law enforcement family. He, was, he went to the 109th session. He graduated the 109th session of the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. I work with law enforcement on a regular basis. I work closely with them in the border. 
because I made this movie, because I told the truth, I am now the subject in a federal terrorism investigation. The FBI is coming to my research. I absolutely can. Wow. Well, think of our our grand president's speech in Philadelphia with a Nazi background, saying if Mm. you're a MAGA supporter, you are an enemy of the country, basically. You know, that the real patriots are the Antifas and the Black Lives Matter and um, critical race theory supporters. And uh, they are directing that narrative, and the American people are fed up with it. I talked to a congressman today, and he said people are ready to pull up arms. And I, I hear it all over well, the country. And that, um, that's you know, what we, we don't want to do that. No, congressman, that's – I will tell you firsthand, that has been their plan since the days of rage, sure. since the BLM summers of rage. They expected they expected white rednecks to go out with militias and go to war against yep. BLM. And that did not happen. Yep. They expected 100 dead bodies on January 6th. That did not happen. Forces, right. their enemies in this country, are tr- they want us to go to civil war, and we cannot do that. If they arrest President you Trump, do it. not get your guns. No, get on your knees and start praying. Because, but I will tell you this: I, I'm making. I, I want to talk to the to the to the patriots that are in law enforcement, that are in our three-letter agencies, specifically the FBI. I know there are incredible agents in that in that agency sure. of our country. You saw what they did to Special Agent Friend. They pulled him off a pedophile task force yeah, in Florida yeah. and told him to go after J6ers, and he and he he claimed official whistleblower status. He stood up and he said, "This isn't right." And they, they're punishing him for that. that, that, that they're huh. doing that because they know there's good FBI agents out there that want to do the right thing, and they're trying to step on them before they do. We need to stand up and answer the higher, higher power. This is God, country, and the Constitution. And we, we all have God to be called that. God, country, family. That's right. That. Well, you know, what I, sure found interesting, what I found interesting, when they raided Derek's garage, they found a box of pocket constitutions. The Constitution yep. now is a subversive document. Wait a minute. I'm an oath keeper. I swore. I raised my hand. I swore to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the, and the Constitution of the State of New York. Well, I fled New York. But, uh, but every single law enforcement officer swears that. Every single elected official swears that. And yet they don't even know what this document is. It's a subversive document. Heaven forbid you have that and the American flag. And this is what you right. talk about in the movie, and you talk about the billboards that were telling people, rat on your neighbor. What are we, back under communist yeah. Russia and China? They pulled out the box German. of constitutions, for those who haven't seen the film, they pulled out the box of constitutions, and they pull out the constitutions, and they film it like they just discovered 20 kilos of cocaine on a drug bust. And the, the reason that's right. so dangerous, yes, and the reason this is so dangerous is because what you just said all enemies, foreign and domestic, they've sworn an oath to take to, to, to defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. But they haven't read the Constitution. They're not familiar with it. So they're being told that the domestic enemies are now us. And because they're not familiar with the Constitution and our founding fathers and the documents, they're believing that. And that's how you co-opt a movement. That's how you, it, we call it a captured operation. That's what's happening here. And the Oath Keepers, you know, what you just said, Oath Keepers. Oath Keepers have been around. I was on the tour part of the Tea Party tour buses back in 2009, 2010. 70 cities in 30 days. Oath Keepers You may have stopped on nine. You may have stopped here in Beaufort, yeah. South Carolina, because we had you guys here twice. 
Uh, Mark, with, uh, with Marcus Amy Kramer and those guys? Yeah, Amy knows me very well. Amy knows me very well. Wasn't he the nicest man? He just passed. Wasn't he just the kindest man? Yeah, Yeah. his wife is beautiful, too. Yeah. Yeah. You you were here in Beaufort, South Carolina, because I have that up. I have the video, because I gave a speech, too. I talked about 9-11. And I said, this is Mm. our 9-12. I was the one in the crazy cowboy hat. That's a small lie. I wear a cowboy hat every day, but it keeps the sun out of my eyes when I'm working cows. But um, that is a small world. Well, nice to meet you, re-meet you again. Um, now, I, I'm sorry, I just, I just lost oh, my you, train of thought. Were you but, the one MC? Oh, MC? Were you MC? No, 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 ma'am. I was back, no, back then, I was, just, I was filming. I was covering it for uh, PJ okay. Media. Um, I had made a movie called The Border. Um, they invited me to do mm-hmm. their trips and, and to speak about The Border. I'm actually back on The Border now. I'm doing a project, a two-year project with um, Tom Homan, who is uh, President Trump's uh-huh. office director, and it's right. we're actually premiering the pilot episode on November 1st. So, you know, the Biden administration didn't like my last movie; they're they're, they're really not going to like this next one. Aw, please, friend. But but talk about a captured operation, Oath Keepers. You stood up and joined Oath Keepers because it's in the Oath Constitution. You want to be around you know, a fellowship of folks like that. Same thing with. Um, with the uh, Proud Boys. I know people from L.A. They yeah. watched twice while people were getting beat up by Antifa and they went after Rand Paul and now yep. they were afraid this, this demonstration that innocent people would get hurt. So they joined, they joined the Proud Boys and they went to, to D.C. because they want to protect people. Well, these are all captured operations. You have MB, FBI infiltration in Antifa and BLM. You have it on the other side into the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, and then they can work these groups against each other. So this is what happens in the color revolution. You have people yeah. on the left, people on the right. They go at each other, and out of the chaos, someone else grabs power. It's, it's exactly what happened back in, in Kosovo. I mean, we actually had a journalist yeah. – who is in Kosovo in the, in the movie talks about it. I saw this same thing happen years ago in Europe and it's a shame, but we're seeing a pattern here. I mean, Chris Ray stood up and it's in the movie Congressman Chris Ray testifies to Congress that he saw no evidence. And anytime they say that, that means he has a purpose, you know, denial. Um, he saw no sure. evidence of any anarchist, um, anti-government, um, Antifa, BLM-type groups on January 6th in Washington, D.C. He actually said that with a straight face to Congress and the American people, which is very interesting because we saw them. Every one of my three-letter military buddies that was there saw them. We could pick them up in squads. We could see when they're doing operations. I saw them. You saw them. We filmed them changing clothes from Black Block to MAGA stuff. They tried to get my, my family and I, they tried to get us to attack the police. We said no. I went to FBI units on the ground and said, hey, you've got bad guys here. You want me to point them out? No. Well, they're over here trying to get us to attack the police. Do you want to take a report? No, we're good. And then Christopher Ray comes yeah. out and says they weren't there while John Sullivan, a BLM leader, filmed himself and who is one of the orchestrators of the chaos and who just happens to be there when Ashley gets shot. Yet he filmed right. himself. Yet Christopher Ray, the head of the most powerful law enforcement agency on, in, on the earth, says he has no evidence that's going on. That either says one of two things. He's purposely lying to the American people, which is he being pressured or is he being part of the cover-up? Is he part of the plot? Or it means that he is the most ineffective leader we've ever had leading the FBI. 
because that is the reality of the situation we're in. Now, you think the media would be all over something like that. Such an obvious misstatement, but it's completely dropped. Why? Because the media is working PSYOP operation, and it's propaganda, and it's part of a, of a operation against the American people. And I well, let me ask you this. Let me ask stuff. you this. It's really happening. If, if that's the narrative and that's their action that they're doing and it's orchestrated, what is their end result? I mean, look, look down the road. What are they trying to accomplish? I know destroy the Constitutional Republic, but what are they trying to develop? They took over the federal government because here's what happened. If you look at what two million people, and I'll say two million people comfortably, there's retired generals who quoted the same numbers as I. I've been to 17 years. I've been to protests in D.C. This is by far the largest, so I know it was well over a million, and quite possibly could have been two million people. Um, they, the, every one of those two million people that were there, the, 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 the Trump supporters, just wanted Congress to take 10 days because all the news out. You had all these legislators right. saying, "Hey." My state is certifying results that we're not seeing. We don't agree with that. Okay, they weren't in unison. So all the people out there wanted to do was for Mike Pence to say, hey, we need to take a 10-day pause and make sure that these certified elections are really the intent of these 50 states. That's the entire thing right there. What was the, what was the result of storming the Capitol? Exactly the opposite. Yep. Everybody, that, everybody that was on record saying that they were going to vote for the 10-day um, pause after they came back, that, after that four-hour interruption. I don't know what McConnell and, and, and McCarthy said to them, but they all did a flip. They all went to the other side. So if you look at the results, the results were exactly what the bad guys wanted. And by being able to do that, they were able to keep put their guy into power. Yeah, but and, and, well, what are they trying to accomplish with the nation? I don't understand, Congressman. What are they trying to accomplish the nation? Well, yeah. What are they? The trying, what's their end saying, goal of this nation? To get rid of, you know, the amendments or the Constitution, turn it into a Marxist country, or are they going to put absolutely. it under the veil of a socialist? Huh? Absolutely, absolutely. What you've just seen is first you seize control of the government, and now you take out the opposition. Anybody that sticks their head up has to be taken down. Whether they're construction workers that got caught up. Um, by a, a captured operation and stupidly went into the Capitol because the passion, the momentum got to them, or whether they were just uh, pastors that were there praying on the ground, or they were award-winning filmmakers that were capturing the whole thing on camera. These people have to be silenced in order for the, their, their narrative to go through unopposed. We've seen this before. If you know history, this is the burning of the Reichstag. This is, this is not yeah. anything new you talk to people in military intelligence. You talk to historians. What went down was right out of the frickin' playbook. I agree. Well, and so Chris, we're down to our last... American... Well, the American Sorry, people have ahead. to wake up. I'm done. I was going to say, we're down to the last few seconds with you, because this is going so fast. I welcome you to hang around, because i got Kevin McCary uh, of Every Black Lives Matter on as the next guest, if you're welcome to stay. Uh, but to let you know... Um, I also ordered the DVD off of your website, which is hisglory.tv. People can go there, get that, get the merchandise, uh, Make America Talented Again hat. Um, I've got the DVD, which I plan to play for my tea party next month. 
How's awesome. that sound? Thank you. Good for uh, you. That sounds pretty darn good. Congressman. And we welcome you back. Oh, be welcome you back because we got a lot more to talk about on this subject, and we'll help you pump this uh, this film. Thank Chris, you, man. keep up the great work. God bless her. <laughs> All right, Take thanks, care. Chris. All right, check out his website and the movie Capital Punishment at hisglorytv.com. Uh, Ted, want to welcome back to the show a friend of ours, Kevin McGarry of Every Black Lives Matter. Uh, he's also with the Frederick Douglass uh, Foundation as well as half a dozen other places. He's chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation out of California as well as an author, keynote speaker, a Silicon Valley professional. What else does this guy do? Good afternoon, Kevin. How are you? And welcome back. Hey there. Thank you for having me again. I'm excited to be here. You guys have a wonderful show, by the way. That was just fascinating uh, hearing perspective, uh, you know, what's happening elsewhere. I mean, this is just crazy what we're going through right now. Sure yeah, is. It's, it's... Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, sir. Well, You've been hard at work, and you, you're like the ever-ready buddy. Nothing stops you. Nothing keeps you down. Um, what I did not realize, you've got an organization you work with, uh, PromiseToAmericasChildren.org. And the reason why I love that is because I was talking to someone from Tunnel to Towers, which has now put together a K-12 through program to send out to schools and to uh, concerned parents to teach people about 9-11, what happened, and what has happened afterwards. And I'm, I'm wondering if these two can tie in together. Yeah, I don't know. We have a lot of partners, um, and uh, a lot of uh, organizations collaborate with us, love our mission, love what we're doing right now. We're fully exposing uh, the roots of wokeism, and that's our number one goal right now. We're going around the country We'll be in, uh, as a matter of fact, we're starting to our launch for actually providing training and certification for people who really want to understand uh, racial unity and how to do that. Uh, we're actually providing that now. We'll be starting at the end of this month, October 29th, at Awaken Church in San Diego, one of the largest churches there, Pastor Jurgen. And so uh, here's, the, here's the thing. Uh, we have been bamboozled and hoodwinked to believe that uh, if you have a dissenting point of view, if you happen to be uh, to not have the paint job that I have, but a little lighter hue, uh, and, and if you happen to be a Christian, that you are a white supremacist, racist, Christian nationalist, right. all of these other pejoratives. Uh, and, and then when you take these courses, that they, they're kind of compulsory now in a lot of organizations where they bring in these quote-unquote anti-racist trainers, um, then you're, you're relegated, you're, you know, basically you're, you're set upon by the, by the room because you happen to have a, a different paint job, and uh, you, you become the target of everybody's ire, right? And uh, that doesn't right. create unity, folks. That creates division. It creates a more hostile workforce. So what we're doing is we're saying, look, uh, there is a way for us to recognize racism and white supremacy. We need to get to the roots of that. My book, my latest book, Woked Up actually fully exposes all of this. And so we need to bring out the roots of white supremacy and racism and start there. Uh, we believe that you need to raise right, uh, racism, which means that raise in the construction terms is completely demolish, implode, uh, completely destroy existing structures. And that's what we're doing with racism. So we'll be having our training at the end of this month, and it's at no charge. 
anybody and everybody that comes to our training at the Awakened Church, again, you can find out more at the Every Black Life Matters website, uh, everyblm.com. Uh, you can just go there and you'll find out more about how to register for that. But we're doing it at no charge. We're training people. We're certifying them on all of the modules that they would stay for um, as racial unifiers. And so when, you're, you know, when your workmates come and your supervisors come and say, hey, we need you to take Kindy's anti-racism stuff, you can say, well, look, I've already been trained by every Black Life Matters taking these modules. I have the certification. If you want me to take it, fine, I'll do it, because if that's part of the job, then I'll do it. But uh, if they have to do it, then they'll, they'll be much more prepared. They'll be uh, less traumatized because they'll understand exactly what's going on. I mean, they'll, they'll be able to laugh at the, the, the idiocy that's being taught in these <laughs> purported training courses of these other guys. That's you know, great. I look, yeah, that sounds good. Well, you know, they, they have always found a way. When we go after, say, for example, critical race theory uh, being taught, they repackage it into something else, and then they call it environmental, yep. social, and governance. And if that doesn't work, then you've got the diversity, equity, and whatever the I stands for, inclusion. Inclusion, um, yes. B-E-I, yeah. Yep. It's the same thing, just repackaged. And so they're hitting us with all these acronyms, and it's like, all right, fine. Well, CRT is not DEI. Yes, it is. ESG is not CRT or or, um, ESG. No, no, no. Yes, it is. You just look at it. They they change the wording a little here and there, but it's the same exact thing over and over and over again. And the purpose is to divide and conquer. Now, we were talking about this with our previous guest in his film, and that's what they do. They separate us into different groups. And the white females here, the white males there, the white homosexuals here, the white transgenders, then they pit them against every other race. So because you're white, you have to feel bad. But you're higher on the totem pole, and you're a little more respected if you're under this category. But if you're a white male or a full white heterosexual female, then you're on the bottom. You're bad. You're racist. You, you were just simply born racist. Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. I don't understand that. I'm born an innocent child. I'm baptized in the eyes of God and washed of all my sins, even though I'm too young right. to even know that I, I have any committed. Um, and then I say, does God make a mistake? He chose me to be here at this time for a purpose. It's for up That's to right. me to find out what that purpose is. That doesn't make me a racist. It just makes me what I do with my life means something more. So if I can move That's forward exactly and say, right. how, what good can I do? Yes. What productive, productive things can I do for people around me? How can I help? That's more important than what the color of my skin is. Absolutely it is. And, you know, this is the, this is the thing that's so uh, corrosive about all of this stuff is it's all based in Marxism, okay? And uh, yeah. what a lot of people don't realize is that Marxism in its uh, totality is holistically Correct. racist and white supremacist. So if you're a Marxist, you shouldn't go around beating your chest because in this book I fully demonstrate the roots of Marxism. He was a horrible racist. And white supremacist. I mean, Marx was just, he was just wretched. And uh, so what we have to do is help expose this stuff, help educate people on what's really going on. Uh, Because as you say, I mean, you know, CRT, ESG, DEI, trans, all of these various movements are part of the woke 
wo- come under, if you will, the the art of wokeism, and um, and, and there the, the you know all of it's based in literally based in white supremacy and racism, and and that's not me just because they do ad hominems. Uh, to anybody, any dissenting voice, that's just not me trying to, you know, oh, okay, you're actually the one. No, no, no. This is matter of fact. This is actually fact-based. Um, and so this is not an, an anonymous or a pejorative. This is just, hey, this is what it is, guys. Uh, you know, literally, if you're a Marxist, you are the white supremacist and racist, period. Hard stop, end of story. Got all the facts to back it up. I mean, we just look at what who Marx is and what he said and what he did and what his intentions are. I mean, it's very, very clear. So, um, and so this book woke up, gives you all of the, the literal private letters and, and all of the notations and everything that they, uh, he, both Marx and then his uh, mentor, who mentored he and uh, Ingalls into their mindset, and that would be Charles Darwin. Uh, all of their, you know, horrible, uh, horrible, demented ways are fully exposed in this book, and I would, I would encourage everybody to just read it. I mean, it's, it's, it's there. You don't have to get that book. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, yeah. We take it from the root all the way through modern day. We show exactly where the intersections are with the thinking of these n- notorious uh, people. And, uh, and you, you know, literally, if you're a, um, uh, a Marxist, uh, even if you're a pro-abortionist, uh, believe it or not, Abortion itself is rooted in white supremacy and racism. Now, some of your people would say, oh, come on, you're taking it a bit too far. Let me just give you a quick, very quick story. I know you guys got probably have other things. That's a fact. But but, but let me just uh, just give you a quick story. Yeah, so here's the deal. So Darwin, um, he had a he had a younger cousin named Francis Galton. Francis Galton was a was a brilliant statistician. Okay, he was really really good. He was one of the first pioneers of statistics. Statistics. Okay, so uh, he was doing his work, and he said, "Look, I'm looking at ethnic patterns, population growth, and all of that affecting the the globe, and I see all of these other ethnicities are actually populating at a much higher and faster rate." Then we, supremists, you know, because, again, Darwin came out and he says, look, um, you know, whites have a higher intellectual capacity and, and better, you know, much more resourceful. We are supreme. So his, his younger cousin said, look, um, it, you know, they're, they're populating much faster than we are, and so we're going to be in trouble in a few years. So why don't we come up with a way that we can scientifically justify exterminating folks? So they are the two, the fathers of eugenics, who literally came up with eugenics, um, and the, eugenics means well-born. Uh, this, is, this is what they said. Eugenics means well-born. All of you who are well-born, uh, you're, you're, you're fine. But those of you who are not, which would be all these other ethnicities, uh, they can be summarily exterminated. And this is the justification that Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, Mao, Pol Pot, all of them pointed to Darwin for the extermination of people. Okay? So, when it came to America, of course, uh, Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist, and she started sterilizing, you know, black women and all that stuff. Uh, and then she says, you know, look, um, you know, we need to start sterilizing. Uh, we need to start actually exterminating blacks because they're they're subhuman. They have less intellectual capacity, whatever, whatever. They're weeds. They're scourge. All this kind of stuff. So, um, so literally, uh, abortion today, in its current manifestation is built upon white supremacy and racism, and there is no other way to 
have another narrative about it. It's hard stop, end of story. That's why it's here. Because Darwin and his cousin said, we want to exterminate all other ethnicities. So that's the reality. <laughs> that's pretty much in a nutshell. And then you, you think of the eugenics program that this country ran through the government. If you had a birth defect or they deemed you uh, unfit, uh, they were yep. sterilizing people in this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why they did it. And uh, so the whole point is, is, look, if you're an abortionist, if you're a Marxist, which all, you know, all diehard leftists are, uh, guess right. what? You cannot escape the fact that you are a white supremacist and a racist. You can't escape it. You may as well just <laughs> hold your hand up and say, look, uh, I believe in Marx and I believe in abortion. So guess what? I am a white supremacist and racist. And just, just wear it proudly because that's who you are. It's inescapable. It really is, but yet they, they throw that on the other side, saying you're, you're a white supremacist and racist when they actually are. I mean, they're great at twisting the narrative. They're great at twisting it, but we also we haven't had facts uh, on our side. Even uh, right. uh, Bill Federer, when he, when he read my book, if you know Bill Federer is you know incredible historian, modern-day historian, and he says, look, Kevin, this really puts – uh, connects the dots in ways that I had never even imagined. He, he thought it was just an incredible work, uh, so much so he wanted to do the forward, and, you know, he did that. So, so anyway, the point is, is that, look, we all need to be woked up about wokeism. We all need to be trained on real uh, racial unity. Uh, we at Every Black Life Matters are, are doing it, and we encourage everybody to just come and find out more about us, everyblm.com. And, uh, you know, you get all the information you want. You can sign up for our upcoming training in San Diego. If you're in Southern California, you need to be there. It's free. It's no charge. So just come and take the training, get certified, and uh, at least you have that, you know, part of your, you know, professional development or whatever you want to call it. Well, the wokeism well, also is not, wokeism not just going after racial divide. They're going after the sexual divide. And the best way they can do that is brainwashing the little kids. And yep. this is why Hitler created kindergarten, because he knew if he'd get the kids young enough, by the time they're six or seven, he's got them for the rest of their life. But you and I had fun the last time we were on the show when you wrote the article uh, about what Paul Harvey had done in a broadcast in 1965. And this is right. exactly what they're doing now. They're going exactly after Exactly the right. They're Exactly right. Uh, so we're using Hitler's playbook. And, you know, we have these do-gooders uh, on the left and all these. Oh, no, we don't, you know, but they are. They're using Hitler's playbook. They understand how this stuff works. Uh, the bottom line is this, folks. They're trying to make the next generation God-resistant. If children grow up thinking that God makes mistakes, uh, they're going to be that much more difficult to reach uh, when they get older and they can actually make that decision for themselves. And, and when we say, look, he made a mistake with your gender or your friend's gender, uh, God didn't know what he was doing, there is no such thing as God, then that begins to cement very, very early. They're going to be very hard to reach. And so this is a generation of God-resistant children. It's like we had child-resistant caps on our medicines. This is a God-resistant generation, and they're doing it on purpose, by design, um, so they could, you know, essentially make sure that these uh, children in this next generation are diehard Marxists as opposed to uh, having any uh, intentionality towards faith. Well, there's also another evil reason why they're doing this. For every child they convert into a transgender, every child they mutilate means one more child of an ethnic or 
socioeconomic background they feel does not fit into their, your, their eugenics program. So now you don't have to worry yep. about fighting about abortion. How can you have kids when you no longer have the organs to function to produce a family or children? So now only exactly the children right. that we'd be warned are the children they choose. The only children that are allowed to produce are the ones they choose as being ethnically clean. This is another version of it, folks. That's all it is. They Absolutely couldn't do it right. purely through abortion. They couldn't do it through the KKK. Now they're finding another way by mutilating and destroying generations of children now to prevent generations of opponents in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't say it better. Yeah, that's a, good, a great summary. <laughs> well put. Yes. Well, you know. So, uh, so we have a lot of work to do, folks. I'm encouraging everybody, please continue to follow us, pray for us, uh, go to our website, become a partner, everyblm.com, and uh, sign up if you're in Southern California for our upcoming training. We'll be doing these around the country after we launch this first one later this month. And uh, so we want to make sure that everybody who are, who's moral, clear-thinking, God-fearing uh, have the ability to actually, you know, stand on truth and do something about it. I also encourage you to go get my book, Woked Up. You can get it on Amazon, W-O-K-E-D, up, McGarry, and then it'll come up. Uh, wonderful, wonderful comments, and uh, it's all five stars. Just it, everybody's really got great things to say about this book. That's no, great. I think I was supposed, I think I was supposed to put something up, too, and I forgot. So I got it on my Kindle right now because I have it on the Kindle, which means I read it and we talked about it. <laughs> I just forgot to put my comments on there. I'll do that. I yeah, promise. please go I get your get comments it. on there. Uh, yeah, I'd love to have it. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, we were talking about the Paul Harvey, and I just can't resist um, because we had so much fun with it. But this, unfortunately, if it, it, if it wasn't so true, it would be truly funny. But he nailed it. And he said, if I were the devil, I would confuse children about their <laughs> God-given biological sex by affirmatively teaching children gender is a personal choice, as opposed to God yeah. or name. With over 100-plus <laughs> gender choices to ferment their confusion and rebellion against God's natural order and nature. I just love doing that. <laughs> you do that so well, Annie. That is very. You do. <laughs> you cracked me up. I'm having a flashback there, Annie. <laughs> no, but, I'm not. Know, somebody, the other, somebody told me, the, and I read this the other day, that the belief in God or Christianity is at an all-time low in our country. And so it they're is. winning That's on that. One of the outcomes that we that has been proven the world over, wherever socialism or Marxism or communism is accepted and, and, and more and more accepted in society, then we see more and more acceptance of a lack of faith, the, the faith starts to right. take it. So, and that's because the number one goal of Marx was to dethrone God. So infused in all of his economic theories and social theories, et cetera, his philosophies, is an undermining of, of faith. It's an undermining of God. So the more we believe and adopt and embrace socialism, Marxism, communism, the less, uh, you know, the less relevant, so to speak, God becomes. And so, and this is a pattern consistent throughout Europe, consistent throughout the world over. This is how it happens. Yeah, throughout history, yeah. Sure is. Yeah. Well, now, yeah. now I, have a, I have a question so here. So this is why we've got to punch back. We've got to push back, folks. 
Well, this is my question is this now. Do you think we're going to become so woke that eventually the people themselves are going to realize that they've been placed under a yoke and fight back? What about these children who have been mutilated? By the time they reach adulthood and realize that their bodies and their lives have been destroyed because of what they've been taught in school, suddenly realize they were told the wrong things all along, do you think there will be a push out, pushback? I think there will be. I think there's a wake-up call coming sooner rather than later. There's a lot of trans people who are now coming out and saying they made the decision too early. Uh, they're trying to detrans. Um, of course, the media is trying to silence those voices, but more and more of those young folks are coming out and saying, look, this is, this is really bad. Don't do it. Um, so, you know, and of course you have folks that are waking up, you know, via my book and others uh, about the whole Marxist thing um, which, you know, all, that's all this, all this stuff is. All the craziness is all Marxism. And so the more we wake up, the more we'll be ready to combat this stuff as it continues to encroach on our family, uh, our communities, and uh, our fa- uh, places of worship. So I think it will be a turnaround. It'll probably come sooner rather than later. I don't think it's going to see its final net effect, which means that if it, if it were, that means uh, the United States would be fully Marxist or fully communist, and I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. We're certainly trying to go that direction, but I don't, I don't foresee that happening over the next uh, year or so. I think uh, we'll, we'll start to see some correction on some of these things uh, sooner. Well, let's hope so. You know, Andy, yes. you brought up about the direction that it's going. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to promote another book from another author. Is that all right? Oh, that's perfectly fine. Okay. We have no ego it's here. Called, you know that. Okay, it's by right. Michael Anton, and it's called The Stakes, America at a Point of No Return. And the, the the left, the Marxists, they get all these divisive groups, or they create them, thinking that as they go and get more in power and the other side goes away, the, the conservatives, they think the these groups that help them, the Antifas, the Black Lives Matter, are just going to fall in line with them. But what his book goes on and says that that group, goes after the left elite, the liberals, and destroys them too. So it's a no-win situation, and we do have to come back to this. And it's like the previous caller, and Kevin, I think you're the same way. You're saying uh, we need to get down on our knees as a nation and humble ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's number one. If we can start to do that and do, do good with that, then that will help uh, really turn things around. We are in a real uh, moral and faith uh, decay, and we must uh, begin to be contrite before the Lord and humble ourselves, and that's really the key. All right. But that doesn't fit into the narrative of the me uh, ideal. It's me first, I exist, and everyone else is just ancillary to me. What I feel and what I want is more important than what you feel or you may need. And you see people... Recently, we had the stabbing of that firefighter in New York City. All she was doing right. was she stood outside, and people are walking past, driving past. No one stopped to help. It's a flashback to Kitty Genovese back in the 1970s in, in Manhattan, where the whole entire apartment building watched her being raped and murdered, and no one picked up the phone to simply dial 911. Wow. Yeah, it's so horrible what, what we're seeing, not only in New York, but throughout all of our major cities. We see a lot 
of uh, police uh, force being targeted and, 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 and actually, you know, set up on, uh, set up, really, by these domestic yeah. violence calls. We had several of them yesterday, but I think over the past week we've had 12 police officers uh, maimed or killed uh, plus, yeah, within the past week. So it's actually accelerating. It's getting worse. Uh, we need to do more to protect our law enforcement. Uh, yes, we, we do have some bad actors uh, in some of these uh, in law enforcement, uh, but those are uh, compared to the overwhelming number of law enforcement officers that are on the street trying to help protect us. Um, the nut jobs within that agency are, are really a non-factor. We, we must you know, really try to stand up for all law enforcement and get the get the crazy ones out of the of the force. Um, but uh, but to just say that all of them now are categorically a problem, so therefore we can kill them, is uh, it's really really horrendous. Well, you yeah. notice that if if a black person, a black young man, dies at the hands of the police, it doesn't matter what the racial backup or 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 a biological sex of that officer is. It, it, you're automatically, you're racist. It doesn't matter that you're yep. Hispanic or black or Jewish or whatever. It doesn't matter, male or female. You're bad. Simply because you're a yep. cop and someone died because of something you did. And we have this one exactly. female sergeant doing time, was it in uh, Chicago? Because she accidentally grabbed the wrong weapon. I don't understand how that happens, but it happened. Accidents do happen. You're in a moment of high adrenaline, and now her life is destroyed. Her family is destroyed. But that doesn't matter. Yeah. That doesn't matter. If it doesn't feed the purpose of Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all those on the other side that want that narrative to explode, to achieve their political and social goals, go for it. Use it. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and uh, you know, the other thing that, that's really a, a real telling uh, and sobering uh, reality about these police officers that are being set up on and being uh, slaughtered uh, is the overall majority of those are actually minority officers. But to your point, Annie, uh, people don't care about that. They just say, oh, you're a police officer. We can kill you. Right. And uh, this is just it's just horrible. These families uh, now are grief stricken because they're, you know, the father of the home or or the son or whatever are, have, are now gone. And uh, they have to try to pick up the pieces, you know. So it's just we're in a, we're in a bad way right now. We got bad leadership with double digit inflation. He's he's making the working class and the working class poor suffer under the iron fist of uh, green energy policies that are just utterly destroying uh, all of our industries and including making our inflation much, 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 much worse. We've got a, we've got a uh, compromised FBI and CIA. Uh, man, I tell you what, we, you know, we need to pray this one through. We, we're in a bad way right now. Only God can help us. <laughs> it's really... Uh, we really are. And going back to the, you know, your organization, when I read that, I, I said, well, I don't know if I agree with that. But then after I read your uh, opening statement or your letter there, I said, this makes perfect sense. And you brought up Margaret Sanger. And the African-American population is staying and hovering around 12 to 14 percent in this country, yet they account for the majority of the abortions. Where would that population be 
if we weren't doing this because you're seeing the Hispanics outpace them as far as numbers, yep. the Asians are gaining, the Muslims are gaining, but the African Americans are going either static or going backwards, and it's because yep. of the abortion issue. In addition to the social programs that Lyndon Johnson brought in, the Great New Deal or the Great Society, yep. where it split up the traditional African American family, which had a stronger family unit than most other ethnicities, and uh, we've destroyed we that through yeah. government programs. Absolutely we did. So here's, here's the thing. We would be, to your point, we would be twice the population we are now. Literally, we've right. aborted half of our population. Yeah, that's, that's the reality. Yeah. We would be twice the number we are now if we didn't have these grotesque policies, okay? So the other thing is, uh, you know, to your point about our moniker, Every Black Life Matters, because some of your listeners may also say, I'm not so sure about that. Why are you still being divisive? So here's the thing. We're not being divisive. <laughs> um, yeah, we're not being divisive. This is a statement of equality. What we're saying is, look, um, because Margaret Sanger, you know, actually literally put a target on all blacks' backs and, and, and put her uh, all of her clinics within walking distance of black communities, uh, over 90% or approximately 90% of all Planned Parenthood is within walking distance of black community, we have been born at a level uh, much uh, less than other ethnicities. And all we're saying is every black life matters, too, T-O-O. So it is a statement about life. It is a pro-life statement that we're making with our moniker. Uh, it is also a the number one way you push back against uh, leftists who try to get you to bow, bark, roll over, kiss the boots when they say, and salute, when they say black lives matter and they try to get you to do all this craziness. You can now stand up and say, look, 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 to me and my family, every single black life matters. Now, does every single black life matter to you? And then they'll slink away uh, because they don't have a good answer for that. We've done it no, hundreds of times. We've encouraged people to do it. It's an incredible statement, um, but it's a statement of equality and not of superiority. Right. Well, Kevin, there's a lot of people in Congress working against you. Well, Kevin, it is always, always a pleasure to have you on, and you know you're always welcome, and we've got to have you constantly come back over and over again to get the message out there. People can go to your website, learn about this, and it's everyblm.com. Kevin McGarry, thank you, and God bless you for the hard work you do. Thank you so much. Be glad to come back anytime. God bless you guys. Take care. Take care. All right. Check out Kevin McGarry at everyblm.com. Yeah, I, I can I can rack them up. I can rack them up. We got our next guest in on the show. I want to welcome Suze Schaefer. Uh, she is the HIPAA security analyst since 2009 at com by simplifying HIPAA through partnership, education, and support. Suze, my guest co-host, as you know, Curtis is not with us today, is former congressman from the great state of Florida, Ted Yoho. So welcome Hello, aboard, Suze. Well, Annie, thank you for having me back again. I really appreciate it. And uh, Congressman Ted, it's nice to meet you. Hey, same here. Look forward to uh, having a conversation with you. Oh, same here, because I'm from Florida as well. So it's a we are the free state of Florida. <laughs> we the love free it. state of Florida. That's right. Well, yeah, we're I'm proud of that. I'm trying to twist his arm to make sure that he runs for Senate. <laughs> See if we can get him into the Senate. <laughs> That would be great. <laughs> oh, man. But I, well, I, just wanted to ju- I just wanted to jump in here and say, 
because um, I've been listening to the entire uh, podcast, and I, I truly believe everyone should see the movie Capital Punishment. Uh, I love the fact that OAN has played it several times, but I've also watched, like, the opening, so they, they talked about all the different people that have been affected by this tragedy, this travesty that they've caused for these people. And I just, it absolutely disgusts me that we are, we live in America and we have political prisoners still in jail in D.C. since January 6th. And it's, it breaks my heart to know that some of them have committed suicide and some yeah. of them have been sentenced to jail and, and, and never even went inside. And I, I cannot even wrap my brain around this and it really breaks my heart because this is not the America that I've grown up with and dearly love. Um, and with that said, you know, I watch a lot of political movies, or not, I shouldn't say political, but I, I like documentaries, educational things for people mm-hmm. to understand what has happened. And 2,000 Mules should be watched. If you can go Absolutely. to Frank's speech, Mike Lindell's cyber uh, symposium from last year. And I don't know, but Candace Owens just put out a new documentary about the truth about George Floyd and the lie that we've been spoon-fed. That was just amazing. And, Annie, when you spoke about the transgender people coming into adults, if you haven't seen the movie by Matt Walsh, What is a Woman? It's a must-see because it demonstrates how this agenda is being pushed. And in my opinion, you know, it's the, 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 the problem I see today is not just in our academia but it's in our medical professions. They're, they're pushing this. And, again, I almost think it's almost like big pharma is going, yes, once you have this, you're going to be on drugs for the rest of your life, and we're going to make all our shareholders lots of money. But I always say follow the money anyway. So, But um, yeah, it's, I've, I've seen That's quite a bit. That's an interesting point. I haven't thought about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. Big pharma has, has their hand out, and we could see this with the COVID vaccines. We're finding all the side effects and everything coming up, the number of people that have actually truly died from the vaccines. Uh, One of my friends, uh, retired, again, NYPD, lost his 10-year-old grandson because of the vaccine. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, and Mm. look at how much Pfizer and Merck and all the others are raking in hand over fist over an experimental vaccine. And what happens to our federal law that says if it's experimental, it cannot be mandated? And yet, people are losing their jobs and people are dying because of a mandate on the vaccine. And in the end, you you follow the money. Absolutely. And the other thing you have to understand, too, is they could not have forced this um, emergency use uh, um, garbage on us but they did because that's why they wouldn't allow the doctors to use their own medicine. And I don't want to say it on, on the air because then they're going to try to censor us. Right. But we all know that the medical professional saved thousands and thousands of lives during the pandemic. Okay. And those very physicians <laughs> that used their medical plan that worked are no longer allowed to treat the patients as they see fit because now it's, that's being controlled by government regulations. I don't know if you've heard this, but in California, the doctors are no longer allowed to even mention about 
ivermectin as a treatment for COVID. Otherwise, they could they could have their license, their medical license stripped. This is this is government controlled healthcare. This is not. I mean, when I go to my doctor, I trust he knows how to treat me. I mean, that's right, what they go to school right. for. And again, I went but way back to the beginning. Follow the money, because they the big pharma, all of them could not have made any money if they had allowed these other medications to be used. Um, and so now they use the emergency use, and they're still pushing. And 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 to your point, you know, it's not supposed to be mandated. And look at how many people were forced to get the jab or lost their jobs. It's just I just can't wrap my brain around that either. Mm. Well, I have to hand it to the Attorney General here in my state of South Carolina. Happens to be a friend of mine, uh, the son of my former uh, senator. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, he put forward where he wrote a memorandum and said his office will not prosecute any doctor that uses alternative treatments, including the ivermectin. They will not oh. prosecute. Good. And that's see, what California. I'm sorry, I was just going to say, there's 23 attorney generals across the United States that are conservative attorney generals. And once they start that ball rolling, people are going to flock to their states to get the treatment. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, but California, I, I don't know what happened to California. I mean, I lived there for a short time in the 80s, but it's just definitely not the place I would want to return to. Actually, it was the 90s. It was in the 90s I would live there, but it's just not the same. Um, but, um, but I love, I love the fact that I live in Florida. I think governor DeSantis is doing a wonderful, wonderful job in protecting, um, our, our, our workers, our businesses and, um, and our healthcare. Yes, absolutely. He sure is. He's doing a good job. Now, you work specifically with the HIPAA Act, and there's always ways around it one way or another, as we found with the mask and vaccine mandates. Uh, I don't know if you and I had the conversation last year uh, when uh, they had my husband and I kicked out of the hospital when he was going for tests for his final surgery. He had about a month and a half before he passed away, and I was told by the security guard because I could not medically wear a mask, I had to leave. I, I don't know if you remember that because... Yes, I do. I do remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we got the it's hospital just, policy changed. Good for you. Yeah. But this is what a lot of people don't understand about HIPAA. HIPAA is between the doctors and the patients. Um, and, and I'm going to call it a pandemic still because I still believe it was planned, um, if you go back and watch some of the other things. But when you listen I would love to, this, to talk to you about that further because I am with you. Oh, I, I have, I, like I, I said, I joke around, I don't have a life. This is what I do. I, I have to go and research everything. But, but I interrupted when, you and you had a train of thought you were on. So. Oh, no, that's all right. Well, what happens is when, when it comes to um, emergencies and everything else, our privacy rights get thrown out the window and HIPAA, uh, get thrown out as well, unfortunately. Um, the HIPAA uh, is uh, guided by the federal government for privacy. It's, it's the patient's privacy rights. Uh, and, of course, the security rule covers the security uh, to make sure the doctors know how to, you know, protect uh, electronic data. But, you know, when we look at 
when we had this pandemic, and they now change the rules because once it becomes um, an emergency, then our government government officials have the right to share our information with anyone they whom desire. Again, they say within reason, but if you read the fine print, I mean, well, that's not even fine print, but you know they share our information with other government agencies, and that brings me to China. You know, we all know that China is invading the United States, and they already mm-hmm. probably have most of our information already because our government, in my opinion, has shared it because of this pandemic. Um, do I have facts on that? No. But if you look at the big picture and of everything that's going on, I truly believe that with all my heart. Well, and that's one of the, the reasons the why I, I – I'm sorry. It's one of the reasons why I won't use the DNA test. And anyone that says, oh, I want to do the DNA test, you know, look at the Ancestry or 123andMe. Hello, China now owns those companies. And one of the ones they don't own, they've hacked. They've got your DNA. Absolutely. How do you think they made this pandemic? Absolutely. You know, once they know uh, your weak points, then they can create viruses and things like that to attack. And I do, again, I, you know, follow the money. You know, it's, it's who's making money. And, um, you know, but when I go back to um, our health care workers and stuff, I just, I just have to say I, I feel for my clients because, you know, I deal with HIPAA compliance. That's what we do. And they just really want to care for their patients. But they're required to maintain so much documentation to keep the government at bay. You know, and, and HIPAA, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize how much HIPAA has changed over the last few years. And there's a lot more coming out. I mean, we've got, oh, my goodness, information blocking, good faith estimates, uh, no surprise billing. Um, they're coming out with now cybercrime reporting. I mean, they, they, they want doctors' offices to be able to report ransomware and things like that within 24 to 48 hours, which I understand why a lot of this stuff is good, but it's time-consuming. And, and then people complain, well, my doctor doesn't spend enough time with me. Well, they're, they're spread so thin as it is. And, you know, and, and then they have to worry about these companies that preach nothing but doom and gloom. Are they really selling them something they need? Or are they trying to capitalize on the new rules? And it's, you know, my heart breaks for them, and that's why, you know, again, my clients love me because we cut through the BS and say, this is what you need, here it is. Uh, And don't listen to these other people. (laughs) But but I want to change gears for just a second um, because some of the other people, you know, the guests you've had on were, you know, we're talking about, you know, the crimes and, and, you know, how the Democrats, um, you know, how divided our country is. And what breaks me again is the fact that, you know, the violence and the crime has been incited by Democrats. You know, you look at what Nancy Pelosi says, Chuck Schumer, right. oh, Maxine Waters is classic, you know. Yeah, and then you got Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, all of them. You know, and they say, oh, they want to punch Trump in the face. I want to take him outside the uh, tool shed. I I just, but Joe Biden said that, too. Yes, absolutely. And so I I look back going, but wait a minute. The other gentleman said, you know, they were waiting for the the redneck Republicans to come out and and start fighting. But they don't understand that, you know, 
I think the conservative, we have values, we have standards, and that's not the way we do things. I do believe we do need to come back to God and start praying. But, but at the same point, we need to come together as a party because the Democrats are stuck like glue whether they believe in their, their words or not. So I believe the Republican Party needs to come back together if we're going to defeat this evil, and it is definitely good against evil. Yeah, what I'm finding here. We are in that war right now. Yeah, I'm finding here even on a local level, there have been factions that have been trying to tear us apart, and you often wonder what their motive is. Uh, We here have been building our Republican base rather strongly and rather proudly. And all of a sudden, in the last year or so, we've got an area, a division of outsiders trying to break into the, our, our core group and break us apart. Insomuch that I've even had uh, attacks on myself on social networks because I'm still running a tea party. And uh, it, well. it is amazing how, how much they want to destroy the voice. I mean, I've been banned on several social networks. Uh, still fighting, still clawing my way back. But when you see it on a personal level, on a personal attack from people within your own community going against you, that's a horrible thing. And the only thing I can yes, think of is. doing is respond with dignity and class. The best thing you can Absolutely. do. Absolutely. But, you know, I've witnessed uh, this in, uh, like, our our local uh, GOP groups and things like that. I mean, Democrats will actually try to get in so they can help divide us. And the Republicans are letting them in. I'm like, well, well wait a minute. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, yeah, really. uh, I, 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 a lot of things I just, um, I, I, I shake my head. You know, I, I try to do what I can. And, and Annie, you're right. I don't want to stoop to their level, but boy, sometimes I just, oof. I sometimes I wish I had duct tape to put it over my mouth because sometimes I can't I can't keep quiet. <laughs> Andy, I know the feeling. I had talked to you about about starting a blog, right, on Parlor Social. Yeah. yeah. And um, we were going to do our kickoff, and I've been in contact with who I thought was Parlor Social since July 16th. Mm-hmm. The university up in Virginia, and. Uh, first person I sat down with was a former congresswoman who had run for president. And uh, we get going in this thing, and this guy that was supposed to be from Parlor Social with his four cameras turned out to be a bait-and-switch of a left-wing uh, organization that infiltrated what we were doing. And they led me on the whole time that they were Parlor Social. That's how wow. they threw Oh, my wow. gosh. Needless to say, I told that person that we were going to interview. I said, this is bait and switch. Get out of here. And um, I won't go into it anymore in there. But they, they are out there, and they have, they have no conscience. They have no morals. It's about their message getting out there. Yes. And preventing ours. And, and, like, and preventing ours. And you know, what I've noticed um, recently is, you know, I've always I pride myself on I, I'm 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 a very strong conservative. I speak my mind, but if you can bring something to the table that is logical and makes sense, you know what I, I will listen. Um, for instance, uh, I went to lunch with one of my neighbors the other day, and 
I said something about I you know, I don't think that these high-paid athletes deserve the money that they make. And he goes, well, I disagree with you. He goes, because the fans pay their salaries. And I said, well, you know what? You're absolutely right. Who am I to say how much they can make? I don't care for them, so I don't watch them. I don't contribute to them. They can make as much money as they want. So that's where I think we as conservatives and people that have common sense say, you know what, okay, bring something to the table. I get it. But, boy, when you talk to some of these Democrats, they came out and absolutely say, you will never change my mind. And I just shake my head. I mean, for a classic example, you know, I had a woman tell me that late-term abortions don't happen. And I'm like, oh, yes, they do. And that's murder. Oh, no, it's not. It doesn't happen. And, you know, oh, no, I'll, I'll, you'll never change my mind. Well, I was going to send her some documentation, but then I remembered the story about the, the donkey and the tiger and the lion. And I was like, you know what? You can't argue with a donkey. So you just walk away. You know, you know that is the symbol of the Democratic Party, you know. I know. And that's the reason why this little fable, this fable or whatever is the story I read about the donkey was so fitting, you know, because, yeah, it's not about being right or wrong. It's just, I got it. I'm I'm right. I'm right. You know, but yeah. And so, yeah. So, yes. Um, So I, you know, you know, when the good Lord got into the boat, when the seas were rough with the apostles and he told them to fish and to throw the the net out to the right side, um, they didn't believe them. But when they brought it up, it was full of fish, and they found out you catch more fish on the right side than you do the left side. Absolutely. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> oh, yes. And you notice we oh. live on the right coast, not the left coast. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. Well, it's just, you know, but but when we talk about the division of our country, you know, this has been going on for quite some time, but it was so subtle, just like the story about the frog in the water, you know, the boiling pot of water. You, you slowly turn up the heat and you don't notice it. But now with everything that's on the fast track since this appointed president, you know, because he, he wasn't elected, we all know that, but, you know, right. he was appointed. And so by all of this going on, the division and the um, push to their 2030 agenda is full force because they got to get this done before he dies. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they do, or before another strong Republican gets in there. And your whole thing about the frog, if the American people are the frog, you can cook them, Mm -hmm. throw them in a boiling water, or turn the heat up slowly. At the end, it doesn't matter because either way, the frogs are getting cooked. And that's what's happening to exactly. us in our Constitution. Absolutely, yes. And, you know, I'm glad I'm as, I'm as old as I am. Um, I'm not ready to kick the bucket yet. But I, I just I feel sorry for the generations behind us because they won't know what it, freedom was like and what our country was like. I mean, I loved my childhood. I, you know, yeah. Uh, it, I, I grew up in a great time, and these kids today, with the bullying and the peer pressure, and it's 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 sad. It's sad, and with the indoctrination of 
like when you were talking earlier about, oh, you're not really a boy, you're not really a girl, you can change that. <laughs> no, you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> and I'm grateful yeah. I grew up when I did. I'm grateful I grew up when I did because I love playing with Lincoln Logs and cars. And if I was growing up today, they'd, they'd think I was. I wanted to be a boy. And I was like, no. Right. No, I'm definitely we, a woman, and I want to stay a woman. <laughs> we, we, we were blessed that we were had we did not have the social networks kids have today. They are so buried yeah. in their smart devices, and it's more important to them to have more likes and friends on Instagram, TikTok, or whatever than it is to know the person sitting next to you in class. They don't know yeah. who their next door neighbor is or the person across the street. They don't know physical interaction other than what the LBGTQ community is trying to fend off on them as good personal interaction and physical contact. They don't know what it's like to have a best friend, and when you're feeling down, that friend comes up to you and just gives you a hug to make you feel better. They don't know that. They don't understand that. And if you're using a device, it's impersonal. So now you're just something on the screen. You're an anonymous name. You're you're. You're an icon or whatever you want to call it, emoji, whatever you are. You're not a real human being as much as I am a real human being. So your life means nothing to me. So it's easy to push the wokeness, the abortion, and, sure. and just ignore the violence around us because you're buried in your smart device, and that's your whole world. Well, and they've taken yeah. us so far that your value is how many followers do you have on social media? It's like, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and you're right, and they don't. And the sad part is, moving forward, they they don't they don't have any compassion. They have no empathy because it's not necessary when you're looking at a device. And um, and we see so much violence with these teenagers. They're looking for their 15 minutes of fame, and they'll do anything to get it, including murder. And it's they they have no again empathy or compassion. But I'm going to go back to a lot of that falls back on, not all of it, but some of it falls back on the parents. You know, yeah, when I was growing out. up, I was not allowed to have a phone in my bedroom, and I wasn't allowed to have a TV in my bedroom. You're going to watch something, you're going to sit out here with everybody else. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think today kids are allowed to stay buried in their devices, do whatever they want, and the parents have no idea what's going on. And it's a travesty. It really is, because I... I, I see children, and um, it's just not healthy. Just not healthy. No, but one of the purposes is is now we have an, a country where you have suburban, rural, and urban areas. You have a whole mixture. But with sub, sub, sustainability, they want to push us all into the urban areas. What best way? You're okay in your little box and your Game Boy and your smart devices. You don't need human contact, and you're happy to go to the job we tell you you should be going to. And cars are bad, so you either walk or take public transportation or buy the vehicle we tell you to buy. We were telling you what light bulbs to to buy, what toilet seats to use. No, no, no. If government can control you, and they can control you through these social networks, which we'll be talking to uh, Jake Denton from Heritage Foundation on exactly this, his technical research, if they can control you through social media and your smart device, they can control your life and then corner you into an area in the country they want you in. And what does that guarantee? 
that guarantees the destruction, the moral and social destruction of the entire United States of what we were founded on. We get shoeboxed into urban areas, and we keep electing Democrats. Yeah, and I think our last speaker... Democrats to lead to totalitarianism. Yeah, that's what he, he was saying, and the best way to do it, and Stalin said this, too, if I can control the children, I can control the country. And then Absolutely. you do that, and, and that's exactly what they're doing. And then take religion out of it. Take a higher power, because in the Communist Party in China, the highest power in China is the Communist Party. There is no entity higher than that. And that's what they're trying to do that here. And it, it's time we all wake up. And elections really matter, and we need to get there, and we need to get engaged. Absolutely. Not convenient, but it's worth it. And you have to absolutely research the candidates and research the judges. You need to research the judges because the police officers are trying to arrest the criminals, and then the judges are letting them out or on low bails and things like that. So, And it's hard to research judges, but we, we, we have to do a better job um, and people need to understand that if you don't know who that person is, you do not have to check a box on that ballot. So I want people to know if you don't do your research, just don't throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. I don't like that. So well, here's another right. problem. And then we need to exercise term limits. You know, oh, yes. Our representatives throw their rear ends out if they're not doing what they're supposed to do. True, but the problem yes. with research is if it's not done in that little 40-character sentence, if you can't get your point across in less than one minute, there is no attention span anymore. How do you explain a to point, a Annie. child how to use the index cards at a library? If, if they are only accustomed to looking something up on Google or you, Yahoo, something that controls the search engine and gives them the desired research they want you to see, not what you want or you're looking for, but they'll just shoebox you in. So there goes research. And how do people do research? Oh, we TikTok messages back and forth, and that's how I know who to vote for. Yeah. And I hope no, everybody I knows try- that TikTok is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that, yes. No, what I do is I take different parts of their name. Uh, and I look, and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm learning new ways to research because I don't want to just look at them as a representative or a candidate. I want to find them outside of that to see who they are. And, um, and but there's a lot of um, uh, left-sided um, uh, websites out there. Even for you, um, Congressman, uh, to, they they slide it against you too. So because I already checked you out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they, you know what? And I have to laugh because yes, you know they what? Do. And I'm sure that there's going to be people out there that slide against me as well because, I mean, I think uh, sometimes that maybe physicians don't want to work with me because they find out that I'm a conservative. And, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way because I know what I'm doing. I love what I do and I take care of my clients very well. But if you don't want to work with me because I'm a conservative, then. You know what? There's plenty of other physicians that do want to work with me. Yeah. I actually happen to be blessed because every time I go to one of my doctors, they go, and so how's the radio show going, and what do you think about? I'm lucky. <laughs> I am very Oh, very yes. Lucky. Yes. Very blessed. <laughs> so, very blessed. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, people can find you at Aris 
medicalsolutions.com. There's a link up on the show page that they can get in touch with you. you got something out there called a savvy card uh, that will help people navigate uh, through the HIPAA system. And there's been multiple uh, cases of people challenging medical facilities for lack of following the HIPAA uh, mandate. Actually, HIPAA law. It is in HIPAA Act. Uh, and there have been fines and penalties. I'd like to see a lot of those loopholes closed. Uh, there is now, I think it's a 30-day period in order to get your medical records. And it, there's proposals out there to mark it down to 15. I'd like to see that, too. Um, yes. Sometimes getting medical records from a hospital that you knew did something wrong uh, can be like pulling teeth. And uh, I, I've experienced that personally. So, oh, yes. And if they go to my blog, there's a lot of useful information they can get today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Susan, it has been a Thank pleasure. Thank you again. We've been waiting for our next guest to call in, but we'll welcome you back anytime you want to come on. Just uh, tap Curtis on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, time to get back on there. Oh, I appreciate it so much. Hey, everyone have a blessed day, and thank you again. All right. Thank you, Susan. Susan Schaefer. Check her out at arismedicalsolutions.com. Thank you, Sue. God bless for the hard work you do. All right. Yes, well, Ted, we'll wait. we're waiting for uh, Mark Tapscott to uh, call in, and I'm surprised. He's probably got his face buried in an article he's writing with everything that's going on. So I'm just going to start ahead with some of the things I wanted to talk to him about, and I'm sure that you can uh, chime in easily on this one. And one of the things is it, our inflation, our growing inflation rate. And uh, we're right now at 8.5%, the highest in 40 years. And everything we see this administration do is the exact opposite of what should be done to pull us out of it. You're absolutely right. And as you and I talked about before the show, you know, that 85 or 8.7% inflation, or no, the CPI index went up 8.7. That means that people on Social Security will get an extra $140 which is good for them, but there's 65 million people on that. And if you do the math on a monthly basis and then over a year, it'll bankrupt this country. And then right before that, the USDA came out and said they're uh, boosting the average EBT payment, I think, by 130 or $140, and there's millions of people on that. Those things are going to be trillion-dollar expenditures that's not in the budget that is going to bankrupt this country, and our, our dollar will collapse and it won't be the world reserve. And if that is to happen, I hope it never happens, but if it does happen, this country uh, will disappear in a, overnight. That's a scary thought. That is a highly scary thought. I mean, they can combat this, this CPI index by doing several just very simple things. All right, cut out these mandates. Get people back to work. Open up drilling. Open up and help let them build new refineries. The last time a new refinery was built was in the 1970s. Why are we taking our oil, shipping it over to Russia or China, and having them sell it back to us? If we can reduce the price of everyday items on the shelf, we drastically reduce inflation. And not just items on the shelf, goods and services. How much gas would go down? How much would the price of car repairs go down so you can get back and forth to work? That loaf of bread that used to sell for 99 cents is selling for 3.99. That's crazy. How do you feed a family? 
how do you buy the clothing for them to go to school or the school supplies? You become how more dependent on government, take, Annie. How do we maintain our public schools? Because the, your local government's going to be knocking on your door asking you for more tax dollars to keep the schools going, to keep the sure. police going, to keep the firefighters, to keep infrastructure going. Every little bit of that CPI chips away at the value of your dollar. And, and then that CPI progress. index, it, there's, the food is not in that and gasoline's not in that. And that's the largest part of a household budget, those two items. It sure is. I'm glad you brought up the Department of Energy. I researched that. It started in the 70s under Nixon. And oh, yeah. um, I think Carter um, brought it through to fruition. And let's see. Um, there's close to 14,000 employees at the Department of Energy. That was passed to kind of regulate the atomic energy. And they were working on new technologies, but also the energy security of this nation. And the average person in the Department of Energy makes $126,000, which is it's 100 and and some percent higher. I think it's 125% above the average American workforce. It might be even a little higher than that. And so this agency was tasked to create energy security or independence for the United States of America, it's failed miserably. Donald Trump comes along. We become energy independent. We're exporting. And we have more natural gas in this country than we can use in 150 years. We should utilize those things. And had we done what we were tasked to do, and we we started this through the Foreign Affairs Committee on a bill we had called the Small Scale uh, LNG Bill that would allow us to um, uh, pump more or send more natural gas down to the Caribbean, and my goal for that was to get them off of Maduro's um, L, um, uh, gas coming out of um, um, Brazil. Venezuela? Not Brazil, but Brazil. Uh, Venezuela. And yeah. um, we couldn't get that to go forward. But if we were to do that now, if, if Biden would come together and put this policy for America, think of what the dynamics in, in the EU, any of those countries that are dependent on Russia, that they can just exclude Russia. You, we don't have to worry about OPEC, what OPEC does. We are dictating the energy policy for the United States and our allies. That would be a game changer. But those policies on energy security, they can't be changing within each administration. And this is where Congress has to come together, House and Senate, and put forth this is the energy policy of the United States. It will not change for 50 years or some period out there, at least 25, 30, 40 years unless it's a national emergency. You know, the green energy, if you want to go down that route, fine, but prove it and let industry do it, not mandates. Well, this administration knows how to use the emergency exception. So I don't see anything happening anytime soon. And uh, Fauci proved that by some of his crazy things he put out there saying, "Uh, well, you don't need a mask, and everyone agreed with him. And then all of a sudden, oh, yes, you do need a mask. And everyone agreed with him. And then he says, no, you got a double mask. And everyone double agreed with him. And then you have to get the vaccine. If you don't, then you need a vaccine passport to prove you got it. And if you don't, then you can't go into that restaurant. You can't go into that theater. You can't fly a plane. You can't get on a boat. You can't even get in a bus. And heaven yeah. help you try to get to a taxi cab and the cab driver asks you if you've been vaxxed or where's your mask. Fauci has become a tyrant in itself simply because whatever he says becomes law. 
but he's not a you lawmaker. Know, we had the opportunity to get rid of him in the Freedom Caucus uh, back in February of 2020, right after this started. And uh, I said, the guy needs to be fired. If not, just he does need to be the spokesman. And uh, they didn't want to push for firing because they felt it would be used against uh, the Republicans and Trump in the next election. And uh, they wanted to write him a letter. And I'm like, you can write a letter all you want. It's You need action. And I was disappointed in my colleagues that they didn't want to take a stronger stance. And he should have been thrown out back then. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the problem yeah. we have is with the shadow government we have, you've got a lot of bureaucrats right. that control regulations, but then they can make uh, recommendations. And somehow or other, those recommendations have the power of a regulation and then can be elevated into a level of law with criminal and civil penalties. This has got now to think stop. about what you just said. Think, it, think about the ramifications of that. And Daryl Hannah, he was a member of the uh, European uh, Parliament, he wrote a book called The New Road to Serfton, talking about the administrative states. These, and we've empowered ours in this country to where we'll pass a bill for authorization or spending or maybe create a new agency, but then it goes, leaves it up to that agency to write their own rules. And those rules, as you just pointed out, have the force of law because they can put in the regulation, they can put in the fine that goes if you break that regulation, and they can collect the money on that regulation that stays within their department. So they become little uh, fiefdoms within our, our supposed constitutional republic. And I heard you use that word earlier, bastardized. Our constitutional republic that we think we all have has been bastardized by the agencies and by the ineptness and um, uh, ignorance of Congress and dereliction of duty. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the enumerated powers of the Constitution have been violated over and over again to the point where they're not even recognizable. Where is it that a congressman, where all laws should originate in Congress, not the Senate or the White House, um, where is that enumerated power attached to the bill? Explain to me what gives you the power to tell me what toilet seat to buy. What gives you the power to tell me what light bulb to buy? What gives you the power to tell me what car I buy based upon an EPA mileage suggestion? Right. And this is where we've gone. You know, this is where we've gone. That was coming into Congress. Uh, Obama came out with the ban on incandescent light bulbs. You remember that? Oh, absolutely. They were going to ban incandescent light bulbs, and everybody had to switch to the curly Q fluorescent light bulbs, which are highly toxic. But what did industry do? Industry came out with LEDs that are so much more efficient. It wasn't a government mandate. And so let industry and capitalism fix these problems. And they will if you get out of their way and don't burden them with mandates and regulations. It's just it's lunacy. And we've got the, the patients running the asylum. Yeah. But then and, again, and if you vote Democrat, you're if somebody votes Democrat, you're. Well, then again, we've got a, an inept uh, administration in here, inept bureaucrats. Or maybe not so inept, you wonder where their pockets are being lined. Because um, Mark Tapscott wrote just two days ago in the Epic Times that the U.S. Department of Energy, the DOE, 
officials have, are going to have to soon explain why the government's illicit transport, tra- not transport, transfer of $15 right. million in taxpayer-funded advanced battery technology developed by the U.S., courtesy of the U.S. taxpayer, to a Chinese firm. Yeah. How do you like that? Our it's lunacy dollars, again, and it's, yeah. Well, this is I don't something know. that's... You know, and I, I, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm going to say this is something that's really weird because it's not weird and not coincidental, but I think planned because the Biden administration wants, by 2013, everyone to be driving an electric car. Electric car needs what? Electric car needs a battery, an expensive battery. that sometimes costs more than the car to replace. However, this new battery called a vanadium redux battery, originally developed in 2006 by U.S. Pacific Northwest Laboratory. They're rechargeable, hold energy longer, and could soon replace lithium-ion devices. Think about the change to our electronic industry, to all of our devices, how much quicker, how much easier, and how much lighter. So now the Chinese are cornering the market on the electric car, They've just cornered a huge load of rare earth minerals needed to make these batteries, and now they just got the advanced technology to replace the batteries they're currently making with the newer ones and corner the entire electronic market. Brilliant. Courtesy of the U.S. taxpayers and the Department of Energy and the Biden administration. Well, it's it's been a default of government for the last 30 years because China – uh, Deng Xiaoping in the 80s said we can't compete with American Japanese technology, but if we corner the market on rare earth metals, we can control the market. And so that was from the 80s. So that was over 40 years ago. And guess what? 90% of our rare earth that we use in electronics and everything else comes from China directly. The other 10% comes from countries that get it from China. Our F-35 fighters and I've verified this several times with, oh, you know, the Get me started on that one. They the have uh, right at 4,000 pounds of rare earth metals in there. Now, if we're dependent on a country that's an adversary, does anybody see a problem with this? Uh, the F-35s already have, have had problems because parts were being manufactured. U.S. military had parts being manufactured, including the air hoses to the pilots in China. And you wonder why yeah, and that's the not supposed to happen, but it gets overlooked. Yeah, yeah, pilots were p- passing out mid-flight. We're lucky none died. I mean, I've got the right. F-35 base, the uh, Buford uh, Marine Corps Air Station, right down the street from me. I mean, I can tell you they have 35 A, B, and C. All right? I've got a good so, friend you, of mine that's an F-35 instructor and pilot, and he flew missions on it. And... Um, uh, he wants to run for Congress, in fact. Well, got to get someone with the expertise in there to say this technology cannot come out of China. This manufacturing cannot come out of China. We've got to find alternatives. And we gave up a huge treasure trove of rare earth minerals when we gave up Afghanistan. And five sure seconds did. after we stepped out off that, pla- off that land, out of Afghanistan... China was already in there negotiating with them, saying, we'll build these roads, we'll build these schools, we'll do this and that. Give us the rights to the rare earth minerals. And they did. As as they are in Africa, as they are in South America, Chile, Argentina. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we're at a point in time, Annie, you and I, that we've never seen in this country. And the only way we're going to come out of this is to elect people that understand these challenges, and it comes from an educated electorate and programs like yours with the guests you have. I'm really impressed with your guests uh, that you have that come on, the knowledge that they have, uh, getting that information out to the voters. And, again, if, a, if you re- elect a congressperson or a Senate and they serve one term and you're not happy with them, throw their rear ends out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. and that's what we have to do. You know, to get back to these batteries, uh, the Department of Energy has a stipulation um, where the original licensee should adhere to and did not, uh, associated with the license and strengthened, which gave China these technologies. The stipulation included a quota for domestic battery sales as a requirement that the batteries be substantially manufactured in the United States. But when they gave the technology over to Dalin, Ronke Power Limited, which is a Chinese company. They also had a second recipient, which is a Dutch company, Vanadis Power. However, Vanadis Power stated in their official website they plan to manufacture the batteries in China. So, yes, you yeah. sold the license to the Danes, but they're going to manufacture it in China anyway, so China's going to get the entire technology anyway. This is our government at work. Brilliant. But there's a purpose to it. As I said, there is a purpose to it. Well, enlighten me. What is your purpose? Well, as stated before, you've got the Muslim segment teaming up with China. You now have this huge caliphate being controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, which has already infiltrated our governments, our schools, our businesses, our entertainment to control the wokeism in America, to bring down America with their Marxist tyranny. Right. They're chipping away as bit by bit. And then you have the media celebrating people like AOC. I'm, I'm sorry, my colleague from New York, my former colleague from New York, <laughs> um, Rashid Tlaib, Elon Omar. And, I mean, Elon Omar said the only way you can fix America is bring it to its knees and rebuild its, um, rebuild the country and its economy and government so that there's equity for all. Uh, you know, I that's that never going to happen. I love that term, equity. Excuse me. Uh, are there, we have <laughs> equality. You have an equal chance to compete out against me, but that does not mean you have the same talent I have. And one of us is going to prove out to be better. Equity says it doesn't matter whether you have the talent, knowledge, or skills. You both deserve the job, but because they are of a different ethnic background or race or gender, they're going to get preference over you. That's not equality. That's the new equity. That's the new wokeism. Yeah, it's wokeism, but it's really racism. Um, yeah. You know, I still want to know why Brittany Cooper, professor out of Rutgers, who was on a, a podcast or an interview and said that we have to adjust America and we need to take out the white emmer efforts and shoot them. And she still has a position there at Rutgers mm-hmm. University. She teaches yep. political science. And there was, that was interesting because there was a group of women of color, some kind of association, that all came to her defense. But I thought it was really interesting compared to our founding fathers who all signed their personal names 
they signed it as the group. <laughs> Nobody was individually <laughs> named. So I'm wondering, how strongly do you really feel about your statement here? You know, if you're in it collectively as a group, but you don't put your individual name, kind of makes me sound like you wouldn't be there if I really needed you. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It's like the scientists that signed their name individually in in protest to the climate change argument, right, right, uh, where they proved that it was it was actually a hoax, and yet the scientists that signed saying it's not a hoax were sort of a little bit more anonymous too. It's rather interesting, <laughs> uh, you know. There's yeah. something about called putting your money where your mouth is. Our founding yeah, fathers did more than that. Conviction. They pledged their life, their liberty, and their fortune. But, and their sacred honor. And their sacred honor. Man. Yeah. I, this is, I just wish Mark had been able to call in because, like, I know he gets buried in some of these articles and he loses track of time because uh, he does such, such great work. Uh, but he will be yeah, back. Yeah, he really in two does. Weeks. Well, uh, you know, he'll um, be back in two I was at that conference at a university up in Lynchburg, and they had the president of Heritage there, and I believe his name is Kevin Roberts. And he gave a talk about um, our nation, and he said Heritage, while he's there, they're going after the faith-based things that made this country great. And he gave a great story of the evolution of a Western-style democracy or self-rule. And it started off with Israel and how it went from Israel to Athens and Athens to Rome, Rome to to um, the U.K. and the U.K. to here. And, you know, we talked about the Magna Carta and all that. He just did an awesome presentation on the, the development of people governing themselves. And uh, he ended it with saying, when you look back over history, the thing that brought these all down was uh, a lack of morality. And exactly. I can't think of a worse time in America where there's a lack of reality. You know, it's like you were saying with uh, Sue that, you know, to try to convince a little boy he's a girl, you're lying to him. You cannot be a girl. You're a boy. If you don't like being a boy, well, get some counseling and things like that, but you cannot change your gender. I don't care what they add on or take off or what hormones they give you. You will never be a girl. So who is ever telling you that? Um, they're lying, and it's really medical malpractice for any doctor to do that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think our next guest may be calling in a few minutes early. Let's double check because I don't recognize the phone number. And let's bring this person on. Area code seven seven four. You're on the air live with Southern Sense. I'm the host Annie with my guest co-host, <laughs> former Congressman Ted Yoho. To whom am I speaking? Yes, my name is Matthew E. O'Neill, O apostrophe N E I L. I'm the top rated editor for Everipedia.org. Everipedia rivals Wikipedia, except we have video capabilities. I'm also an author at Amazon.com. My name is Matthew E. O'Neill. And the reason for the quick call is I like to say that I'm also an RNC writer and I write for the Republican National Committee. And I think that the reason I'm calling is because in times like this, I think it's a really good idea for people to go out and vote and to support Republican candidates. I agree with you. I agree with you. I'd like to say that I did four years in the armed forces, U.S. armed forces, on active duty. 
And my son was born when I was in the military. His name is Dan Marshall. He was born in December of 2000. He lives in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I was an athlete around the time that he was born. I competed in USA Boxing sanctioned matches, beating a member of the federally funded U.S. Army world-class athlete program. His name was Preston Hartzog. The match was covered by Into Boxing, a United Kingdom-based company in 2020. And I think that in times like this as well, I think that the coronavirus is still very active, and I think that sports and athletics are good. But I think some of the politicians should revise some of the mandatory gym classes and physical education requirements for high schools in the invention of the coronavirus. I think they should rethink that. As President Kennedy thought that mandatory gym class and physical education should be a requirement for high school graduates, I really think they should switch that around and get rid of that class. Well, Ted, you got any thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah, um, what, yeah. Why would you want to switch that around and give other classes? What, what, what's well, the reason? Well, I guess my point is that they thought they, for example, in the state of Massachusetts, in order to, in order to be a high school graduate, you need to pass physical education. I passed physical education back in 1994, and I graduated from high school in 1994, and. When I was in the military on active duty, I competed as an amateur boxer. I beat Preston Hardsog, who was later Vitaly Klitschko's primary sparring partner for the, for the Lennox Lewis fight back in 2003. In my natural ability in sports, I was able to compete as an athlete based on limited experience and have success. Now, my son was born right around the same time. It's a freak type of thing that happened, but I guess my major point is, with the coronavirus going on, I think someone should contact politicians and say maybe we should rethink this mandatory gym class as a requirement to be a high school graduate. You know, they should rethink some of the policies because the coronavirus is still very active, and nobody has really mentioned this. I, I just think that someone should bring this to the attention of the president or leading politicians, and let's try to revise this physical education requirement and get rid of it. Yeah, I think, you know, we need to look at the physical ability of our youth. I just was with some um, high-powered military people, and they said less than 30% of the people that apply can't meet the minimum physical requirements, you know, it, with their physical requirement test. Less than 30% cannot meet the standard. So I think we're developing a soft uh, group here, and I think if you look at the, um, the numbers on coronavirus, people under, say, 12 to 16 years of age, have a very low incident of contracting the virus, and overall there's a 98.7% survival rate of the coronavirus. And I think we can, we can, I personally feel that there should be activity outside, and I think you can do it maybe maybe distancing, but um, I'd have to disagree with you on that. I, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but I just I think it's the wrong way to go. Yeah, you have your opinion. I guess maybe we'll see as time goes on in the coronavirus, if it gets worse or it stays the same, you know, maybe they will think about changing that requirement. Yeah. Of course, when I exercise, when I started off in the gym class, my physical education teacher's name is Carl Freimuth. And Carl Freimuth was a Division One state football champion out of Massachusetts for Plymouth High School. And there's an Everopedia.org article on Carl Freimuth, who was my gym teacher, as I beat a federally funded athlete named Preston Hartzog, and I also beat an LSU national baseball champion by a 10 count. 
And the, the matches that I competed in were, were accredited by USA Boxing. Uh, Carl Feinberg was my physical education teacher in his articles on Everwordpedia.org. So I understand what you're trying to say. When I was in the military, based upon that gym class, it did a lot for me when I was in the military because I got an honorable discharge, and my son was born the same year I was discharged. His name's Dan Marshall. I just think that because the coronavirus is going on, it's something that somebody will take a look at over the, over the years. If things continue to stay the same and there's no cure for this coronavirus, maybe somebody will switch that around and get rid of that class. Well, Mike, thank you very Duly much. Duly noted. It's an interesting concept, but uh, I think coronavirus is on its way. It's going to be around with us like the common cold or any common flu. It's just we have to adjust our lives duly and just not hide behind the rock. Thank you very much for the call, and have a great day. All right. We got another caller in here, area code 509. You're on the air live with Southern Fenster. Who am I speaking? Yeah, hi, this is Jake Benson. Ah, I didn't recognize the phone number. I was getting ready to send you a text. How are you doing? We got uh, Jake Denton no from the from the uh, Heritage Foundation, the research, research Keith and Backwoods Research Associate at the Tech Policy Center. Good afternoon, and I found your stuff as I was doing uh, my stuff last night. Very interesting what you're able to delve into stuff we felt has been going on all along, and there's some good things going on, but there's a lot of bad stuff with this administration. You were talking about the Biden administration outsourcing online censorship. What did you unbury in an article that was printed yesterday in the Daily Signal? Yeah, so uh, this is kind of a a long time coming, uh, these revelations. Uh, So we found out that the uh, Election Integrity Partnership, uh, which is essentially a group of four entities, um, so it's the Stanford University Internet Observatory, the University of Washington Center for an Informed Public, and the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, uh, assisted by Graphica, uh, which is a third party. It kind of stands out. They're not an academic institution. Uh, They're supposedly a social media analytics firm, uh, but they're largely made up of former U.S. intelligence agents. Um, And what this group has been doing on platforms like Twitter and Facebook is essentially policing you know, content, making uh, flags, things of that nature for admins of these platforms. Um, And then they're being funded by taxpayer dollars through the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department. And on the surface level, it may seem kind of like an ordinary operation. But when you dig a little bit deeper and you read their findings from uh, the 2020 election, you find that it was overwhelmingly targeted towards conservatives so much so that I'd almost go as far to say as it was designed specifically to go after conservatives. They don't even cite a single uh, left-leaning account um, within their 2020 report. Um, it's entirely conservative influencers from uh, folks like Robbie Starbuck, who is a close friend of mine and who I talked about in the article, uh, to President Trump and his son Donald Trump Jr. Um, they really just had a full-force attack um, on the 2020 election and all the influencers. And they've now been refunded um, in kind of what I would call a thank you from the Biden administration um, to go after the 2022 election. And, um, you know, when you're weighing how impactful this was, we now know that almost 35-ish percent of their uh, flags were taken down. Um, and that comes after them just basically mass flagging things. So if you're able to just, you know, submit 
a ton of uh, tickets, flag tickets, and have that high of a success rate, you're making a pretty sizable impact on the news cycle and these platforms. Now, how legal well, is it that the, that the government is now using our taxpayer money to silence free speech of the very taxpayers who are funding this organization? I personally don't think there's a legal case at all to be made. Um, I think this is blatantly uh, infringing on the First Amendment. Um, you're obviously, um, you know, being inter- your speech is being interfered with uh, through the state. These are state-sponsored entities um, from the highest level. And, you know, if you look at the, the report, it seems pretty catered towards this, uh, I mean, the director from the University of Washington Center cites it as the populist movement is what they're so concerned about. Um, so it's a specific group. It's a specific group of people. They're the folks that I'm sure many of your listeners follow on Twitter. Um, and, you know, maybe even some of your listeners themselves um, are the ones who are being subjected to this. It's not a, uh, you know, unbiased, uh, good-hearted policing of the Internet. These are actors with intent. They're looking to silence a very specific type of speech. Um, not just, you know, blanket forms of misinformation that, you know, they cite. Ted, I'm sorry. I was cutting you off. I didn't mean to. No, I I think it's very accurate what he said. And you have to, you ask, how can they do this? They do it under the premise that if you're a conservative, you are not patriotic. Go back to Biden's speech in Philadelphia. He said anybody that supported Trump was an insurrectionist. So, they're not stopping free speech. They're, their narrative is they're going after uh, insurrectionists that are net detrimental to what they deem as a republic, but it's not the republic as you and I hold here. It's a um, authoritarian state. And so they're doing what they're supposed to, according to their twisted mind thought. And uh, I think it's a very dangerous situation we're in this country. It is. <laughs> I mean, the First Amendment, governments should not abridge our free speech, and yet the very government that's supposed to be protecting our constitutional rights is abridging our free speech. And yes, what I do mean, we do, the Fourth Amendment? Yeah, I mean, so what we're, we're currently witnessing is a battle for cultural hegemony, right? So the left is actively yeah. trying to uh, basically kick out any dissenting opinion from the public square, whether that be, uh, you know, in the real world or in the digital world because it, our elections are getting so much more contentious. And so it's very electorally and politically motivated. Um, and so, you know, what can we do? Well, unfortunately, when, you know, there's not always going to be a billionaire like Elon Musk that comes around and frees us all from, you know, suspensions or bans on Twitter, um, the speech is going to continue to be curtailed. It's going to continue to be suppressed and censored. And so I think what's going to become increasingly important is that, you know, even if you are censored on a platform like Twitter, that we don't just turn to an alternative platform like a, a getter or a parlor um, and just, you know, live on happily with amongst ourselves. It's important that our voices stay heard, um, you know, throughout society. We can't just disappear into these little corners. And so, um, you know, don't go away quietly. If you're suspended, make noise about it, you know, things of that nature, um, because we can't just roll over. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be important that you, you put up a fight. You don't just, uh, you know, let your account or your speech get taken down. Yeah, 
I know about that. I've been shadow banned. I've had my YouTube uh, taken down. I've had Facebook pull my posts. Yeah, I, 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 I think Reddit has me completely banned now. But yeah, we, it's hard for us. And when you're like a tiny little voice, you don't have much yeah. to say you know, to, to work with. If you're a major corporation or a Donald Trump, you can make a lot of noise. So what does a little guy like me do? Yeah, I think uh, it's really important to stay involved on the local level, right? Your town hall meetings, uh, if your congressman comes back from uh, D.C. and is doing an appearance, make sure you're there. Um, you know, while, why is Twitter important? It's because who's able to see your messages, your speech, right? And there are just very few vehicles left today where the average American is able to talk to that elite class. Um, you know, if you're congressman isn't doing town halls regularly call their office and you know demand that there are town halls because once twitter is cut off you know how can you voice your complaints um and that's really what it comes down to is they're trying to further drive that wedge between the americans the everyday americans and kind of the ruling class they're trying to separate you away and so if you're not able to communicate with them on social media you have to go and to these town halls and you have to, you know, be an active member of the community. Um, and it's, it's important not to just get lost in the online world, um, you know, stay involved locally. Um, and hopefully with Elon coming in, we'll be able to uh, save Twitter some, some way. Um, and, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but it's probably going to be a lot better. Um, but this is just the beginning. I mean, we're going to continue to have our lives digitized. And um, if we just, just kind of sit back and, don't speak up when things like this happen. Um, you know, we're not going to have much say in the way it unfolds. That's You're absolutely amazing. right. Let me ask you a question. Go ahead, Annie. No, no, go ahead. Ask the question. Jake, um, if, if Elon comes in and does Twitter, then you still have Facebook and all these other ones, you know, the Google, what they are doing. And so we're always going to be fighting this. What is your opinion? And I know being at the Heritage and we want free enterprise and things like that, but what about maybe having these high-tech companies, the information technology companies, have them become a utility and regulate them like a utility? If they start self-regulating themselves to who they're going to censor or not, you know, to censor President Trump, the most powerful politician in the world, I mean, if they can do that, the little guys like Annie that got knocked off, she can't have much recourse. But if we had them under some kind of a regulatory environment, and um, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think everything should be on the table. I don't think, you know, we should rule out any way to solve the big tech problem because, you know, the minute we start saying, you know, this is too far or something like that, that's when we start to kind of get pushed down the the controlled path, right, the, the direction that they would prefer to go. And so when it comes to solving it, I don't think there's going to be a silver bullet, right? If you were to make it, a, you know, a public utility, I think you'd still probably find that the cultural uh, issues from within those companies linger, right? You know, like even if they right. were, um, you know, if you were to have this new regulatory environment, it's still the same engineers, it's still the same folks. And what I've been telling right. people, you know, for quite a while is these companies are creative. They're, they have an agenda and they're going to see, see it through. They sure so, do. Um, you know, hopefully we get a good uh, decision from the Section 230 case that we're going to hear right. in front of the Supreme Court this session. And 
hopefully uh-huh. next Congress legislators really, uh, you know, go head on at Big Tech. But um, I, it's kind of an all hands on deck and everything on the table type of environment. Um, I, I'm really hoping we start to get serious about this because every day is, you know, another day we're not going to get back. Um, so we got to act pretty soon. Well, no, Jake, you're right about that. And I guess be, being a free enterprise person, as I know your organization is, the best solution would be to have a bigger, better platform that doesn't do that, and people go to that would be the best way. Yeah, and so unfortunately what we've been seeing increasingly in Silicon Valley is the culture of consumption. You know, you have these mega corporations kill any competitor that comes up just through right. acquisition. Um, and so, you know, if you're taking on Google, um, you're gone tomorrow because they have the, the money and the resources right. to, you know, make sure you don't make it. If you think really back about Google's timeline and progression as a company, they haven't themselves really rolled out a successful product. They've acquired companies that, you know, they could merge with their existing yeah, sure. platforms. And, like, they couldn't do YouTube. They had to – Google Video was a huge failure, and they acquired YouTube because they couldn't figure it out. It's, they're not innovating. They're not evolving. These are just companies that are uh, further kind of fortifying themselves within our economy. Um, you know, and they're pushing their radical HR agenda on the entire uh, United States and the world now. And so, you know, if we're going to get serious about it, it's going to be antitrust. Um, it's going to be kind of an aggressive approach towards making a competitive market where, um, you know, hopefully something like a, a true social or an alternative platform actually could, you know, roll out unhampered with. But now you lead me up to the next question. <laughs> What is this merger filing fee modernization act? And there's three components yeah, so, to it. So explain it because I I was trying to wrap my head around it. I'm not a big tech person, but I was just trying to figure out where you were coming from on each one of these things. Yeah, so this is a um, – there are three pieces of legislation that were essentially combined into one big bill. Um, and the three components of them are things that conservatives – and honestly, quite a few Democrats have talked about for a long time, and it's under the broader umbrella of just modernizing our antitrust and kind of merger environment within the United States to take into account the current tech uh, dominance. And so what we've seen is the rise in multi-billion dollar mergers outpace kind of the, the funding and the resource capability for uh, the antitrust divisions at the FTC and the DOJ to kind of keep up and truly police it. So what happened is you had these three bills, um, first off being the Merger Filing Fee Modernization Act, which is where the bill got its namesake from. And what that aimed to do is to essentially up the fees for multi-billion dollar mergers. Um, and so they're taking those, that money and they're pulling it into the Treasury. Um, and then Congress gets to further appropriate it to the FTC and the DOJ um, upon, you know, necessity, right? So uh, there were bigger mergers, bigger filings that needed more money for the FTC uh, to be able to handle those. Congress can then allocate that money over to the FTC. But um, it's important, you know, to note here, I'll, I'll kind of get why this is important later, there was an appropriation backstop. It wasn't a blank check. So these rogue agencies won't be able to just spend it away. Um, they're going to actually have to have it appropriated to a specific department, specific effort. Um, and then the next one, Oh, wait, let's get, wait, hang on just a second on this one, because uh-huh. you wrote about this first part, it's the possibility uh-huh. that it could even reduce the deficit by $1.4 billion over five years. 
That's a good Correct. thing. A yeah, good step. So, absolutely. And, you know, another benefit to this bill as well is that uh, it lowers the fees for smaller cor- companies, right? So if you're um, a mid-sized tech company and you're, you know, making a swing at one of these big players and you merge with one of your, your peers, you're not going to take on a, uh, a fee that's going to cripple you. You're going to actually have a, a smaller fee um, that's going to keep you in the competition within the market. Um, and then, you know, the other benefit now is taxpayer dollars aren't funding the FTC and the DOJ's antitrust divisions. It's coming from these big mergers. Um, so big tech has to pay for um, kind of the, the difficulties we then all face as a nation when, you know, we have to try and fund uh, these divisions to, to police them. So across the board, you know, you can kind of get lost in the numbers with this one, um, which was why there was some opposition to the bill on the right. But um, it was just a net positive um, across the board. And now the second part, and as I was starting to read it, I made a notation against the first two lines where it said in your article, China and et al. I mean, China and all the other bad players are uh, putting their fingers into the pie. And then I read the next two sentences, you say the Chinese Communist Party. How does the second uh-huh. part help protect us against uh, foreign in- influence and interference? Yes. Yeah, so the other bill in this package was the Foreign Subsidy Disclosure Act. And so when these multi-billion-dollar corporations decide to merge with each other, they now have to disclose if they've received any subsidies from big tech or uh, foreign, excuse me, if these big tech companies have received any foreign subsidies from uh, foreign entities. Um, and so where that most commonly comes from is China, and that's no secret to anyone, um, and it's very prevalent within the tech space. And the reason that this is important is that, I mean, wherever the money is flowing from is largely going to determine the way the company goes. And so if we're really going to be able to take on regulating or policing these, uh, these mergers and also just these big tech corporations in general, we're going to have to know who's, you know, making the decisions. And I think what we'll come to find out, you know, in the the next big wave of mergers coming, you know, hopefully after the Senate passes this bill, um, we're going to probably see a lot of foreign subsidies um, on the slate with these big tech companies. And it'll, you know, kind of force us into a a tough conversation about whether or not these companies that are headquartered in the United States, originated in the United States, are really American companies. Because, I mean, if you're taking big checks from China and it's shifting the way you treat Americans, can you really call yourself an American company? It's like TikTok. <laughs> so TikTok is truly a, a Chinese company through and oh, yeah. through. But, oh, yeah. um, you know, we're I, I'm thinking more along the lines of an Apple, um, you know, these big right. household tech companies that we kind of have let skate by without any criticism. Uh, Microsoft, uh, most notably, their workforce is going to be predominantly based out of Asia it's outpacing, uh, you know, the U.S. staffing. And so, I mean, if you really start to think about all these companies that, you know, I grew up with and kind of came to rise, um, you know, in that big initial tech wave, um, we've kind of always viewed them as American. But I think what's happened is we've kind of just turned a blind eye to the foreign influence and we've given them the benefit of the doubt when they really didn't deserve it. Now, what's the the third part, the State Antitrust Enforcement Venue Act? Yeah, so this is another interesting one. Um, so this actually is a bill that um, solves a long, long-term problem where a antitrust case gets filed from a state attorney general um, against, well, you know, any given tech company, and that 
case is then consolidated into a private case and it's shopped around. The, uh, the companies essentially can uh, play ball and see where they can get it in a friendly jurisdiction. And at most often, that case ends up in California. And so now let's say, you know, like the state of Texas is hearing this case in California. It's no longer home field advantage. You're enforcing your own state's laws in foreign territory. It's, um, it's just not a level playing field. And it really kind of exposes a big gap in our judiciary system, right? It's like this idea that you could have this case heard anywhere, even though it's a, a grievance from, you know, a given state's attorney general. And so what this case does is it stops that. You know, these cases no longer get consolidated into uh, private filings. Um, so, you know, the wind will stay behind the sails. These cases will proceed without any big speed bumps. And then they'll be heard in the jurisdiction of the attorney general that filed the case. Wow. That's a big move. That is a true. It is. Yeah, that really move. is. Now, that's yeah, so what I thought when, it was reading, and I just want to make sure I saw it the same way. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I saw, oh, go ahead. I was saying that's how I thought I was reading. I just wanted to make sure I was looking at it the way that I was. I thought it was, and yeah, why would an attorney general say, for example, my attorney general is Alan Wilson, want a case he files here in South Carolina to be heard in Baltimore, where he knows exactly. he's not going to get a favorable ruling? Yeah, like it's, to see uh, it's a, go ahead. Well, I'd like to see that with other cases too, outside of antitrust. You see that going? Of course. Hey, Absolutely. listen, the attorney general's fine. This. And it's going to be heard in this case, unless you have in the case where you have 18 or 23 attorney generals put in for a class action against it. That's a different story. But if this is filed in South Carolina, you want to be heard in South Carolina, not in Baltimore, not in New York or California. Yeah, we've got a long way to go to modernize. Yeah, how much money that would save the state, not having to worry about Uh doing a long-distance trial. Man. Yeah, no, it's... uh... I was going to say, we only have a few minutes left on the clock, and we were talking about China earlier and its infiltration into our society, and I had mentioned entertainment, um, but as Ted, Congressman Ted Joho uh, and I were talking about, they're going after the kids, and if they can control the kids, they control the next generation of voting blocks, the next generation of consumers, the next generation of workers, they can control the next generation of society. And they're doing this now in the video games with pop- propaganda, and now they've got spyware in these video games? Yeah, so uh, China has just really dove headfirst into the tech space, and one of the main vehicles that we kind of just ignore in the United States is the video game industry. And so what China has done is they've come in through um, you know, these state-sponsored corporations from China, uh, the main one being Tencent, um, which is a big video game company. They handle, you know, the biggest video games in all of China and a lot of the ones that are in the U.S. Um, and they use these companies to buy commanding stakes in American companies and European companies uh, to the point where you could pretty much go as far to say every game, uh, you know, big-time game that your kid, you know, wants on their Christmas list for uh, their Xbox or PlayStation, Tencent at least had a little bit of say in the way that game was made. And, you know, while that may seem harmless, um, what you find is that Tencent is using the Chinese content laws that, you know, uh, don't allow for blood in the game, gambling paraphernalia, things of this nature where, you know, some of them are 
uh, find that, you know, kids aren't exposed to, but it, it goes a lot broader. And, like, you will not have a game that's going to criticize um, a Chinese president. You might be more likely that you have a game that criticizes a U.S. president. And so through these stories and these video games, you're almost teaching these kids who have no one watching them while they're on the computer a history lesson. And uh, a lot of these times they're so real and they mirror history so closely that uh, your, your kid's going to walk away with a very different understanding of American history. Um, it's hard to, to break that gap between what is real and what is fake um, when it's so closely tied together. And then um, for the spyware front that you had noted, um, what, you know, what you find more often um, on the computer side of things, right, if your kid's playing on a PC, um, is that they'll go off and they'll download games that they think are discounted on a storefront that, uh, you know, maybe isn't really an authentic storefront. And you might actually still be able to play the game, but something is loaded alongside it. Um, and then you also have games um, that are coming from that company I mentioned earlier, Tencent, um, that have a, uh, a software built inside to make sure supposedly that you aren't cheating, but it really just broadly surveils your whole computer. Um, and that has implications for your whole home network. Um, you know, if they're able to infiltrate a single device like that, uh, they're on your Wi-Fi router, they're everywhere. And so this really is across the board an area that policymakers need to start, start taking seriously in the state. You know, the FCC controls whether or not you get uh, spam phone calls or anything like that, but there's no control over these other smart devices. And it's, I find it amazing that they're all communication devices, so they should fall beneath the FCC purview, but there's nothing being done here. Yeah, I mean, so there, there's so many layers to this, and what I would argue is that it probably needs uh, action on foreign investment before it needs action on that. Um, you're not at the very core of these companies. They're rotten because they're being influenced by China. And so even if, uh, you know, you had strong regulatory action, but the Chinese were still inside and, you know, taking orders from the CCP, it's like we were talking about earlier. They're going to be creative in how that they can, you know, game these regulations. So um, I think before we really can, you know, solve this problem, we have to really have a hard conversation about whether these uh, tech companies should be allowed to take Chinese investment. Yeah, I can make it. I mean... I think the best way to deal with that is just ban them from coming here and then let them prove that they are not taking that. Uh, President Trump, you know, he blocked TikTok, and now TikTok's here under the Biden administration. And it's interesting, if you look at China, the CCP, the Communist Party, in China, they ban their children from watching too much video games. And if I understand it, it's only a couple hours during the weekends and on holidays. Other than that, they can't have video games. Yet they inundate our country because they know the Americans have no discipline and they're going to watch these games over and over again. And what you said about if you download something, China is in your computer. I was with General Alexander when I first went into the Congress in 2013. He was director of the NSA. And he says, if you are on the Internet, you need to understand that China is in your computer. That was back in 2013. The technology's gotten so much better, and we have got a mess in this country, and Washington is not paying attention to the important things in this country. They're worried about wokeism, CRT, and all that other. I don't want to say it's insignificant, but it has its time and place 
and it's not now in this country. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've kind of been asleep at the wheel, and all these problems have stacked up, right? It's, uh, it's yeah, going to be a huge to task to take on. Right. Well, yeah. Jake, it has been a pleasure having you on. We're down to our last less than four minutes on the show. The show has gone by so fast, Ted. People can find you, Jake, Boy, sure at has. Heritage Foundation at the uh, Tech Research Center, but you're also a contributor at the Heritage Foundation Daily Signal. So people can find you both there. Yep, that's correct. Uh, you know, I have a, a few articles posted on the Daily Signal that cover these issues. So if you're interested, feel free to to go and check those out. Well, God bless Jack, you. Welcome great you back. To you. Hi, it was great talking with you guys. Have a good one. Take care. Yeah, if you see Max, right. tell him I said hi. Hi, Will. <laughs> All right. All right. See you. Later. Bye. All right, Ted. We're down to our last few minutes here, and uh, man. It, the show is going just so fast. I had a blast with you, as always. Um, we do have next week, scheduled from the Heritage Foundation, Virginia Allen. She's the senior news producer uh-huh. for the Daily Signal. So that should be very, very interesting. And you will be my co-host again next week, I assume, right? I am honored that you're going to have me back. I saw that, and uh, I thank you for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, I think it's so important that you get your message out there, and I think you do a good job in Again, I'm just blown away by the guest list you have. Um, you've got some high-powered guests, and, um, you know, the whole thing is in, inform and educate your uh, listening audience, and I think you're doing a great job, so thanks. Well, thank you, Ted, and God bless you for all the hard work you are doing that you will be doing in the future. Um, so I will be speaking to you uh, during the week or next week, and you have a glorious weekend. Yes, ma'am, you do the same. Take care. Goodbye. All right. Uh Ted Yoho, former congressman, you check him out there. He'll be here again next week. So I want to thank everyone that was here listening on Blog Talk Radio, up on my webpage, Southern Sense, with the dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Also up on YouTube and Facebook that were chiming in there, as well as LinkedIn and Twitter. So we're trying to get the message out all over the place. So I will leave you with a song from my friend Gary Pecarella, Save America. So until then, I say good night. God bless.
America.